43% of men would prefer to have a boy over a girl, whereas women didn't really care one way or the other. Guys don't want to have to, like, uh, like worry about uh, different plumbing. Like, they know what they're dealing oh, with. Oh, boy, is that true? <laughs> that is so true. I am uncomfortable around my boy's plumbing, and I have that plumbing, <laughs> let alone a whole new set of drawings. Yeah, I'm not yeah. trying to That's, deal with that. It's not not great. Yeah. Not, not great to be uh, on diaper duty. You're like, okay, what what is this? <laughs> no. Can we take her through the car wash? <laughs> <laughs> Just hold her out the sunroof. Randy Bellman and the DVE Morning Show. It's 6 o'clock at DVE. Here's the Channel 11 Severe Weather Center forecast brought to us by Dormont Appliance. It's 60 degrees now at DVE. I'm Val Porter. The National Hurricane Center is warning about life-threatening storm surge and dangerous flooding from Hurricane Florence. Category 4 storm is expected to make landfall Friday on the North Carolina coast. Some areas in the region could see a 13-foot storm surge, but once it moves inland, forecasters are worried it could stall out and dump up to 35 inches of rain on the Carolinas, resulting in catastrophic flooding. Carolina coast could start getting storm force winds winds by tomorrow so residents in that area are being told to get ready yeah it is going to be tremendously big and amazingly wet i heard <laughs> yes <laughs> tremendously wet big and wet it's, i said yesterday it sounded like lieutenant frank drebin is our president <laughs> <laughs> awfully big and incredibly wet maybe he was talking about another storm stormy I, stormy yeah. Uh, yeah, I w- watched one report yesterday, and they basically said, if you aren't gone by, I think it's 8 o'clock tonight, you're on your own. They said, you could call 911, but we're not going to be able to help you. Yeah, they were showing footage of Myrtle Beach, and it was just a ghost town. Yeah. They were like, get, like, seriously, get out of here. Yeah. Leave. It's going to be bad. Has North Carolina always been the target of this stuff? Because I feel like for some reason Georgia gets off of these hurricane things like scot-free. It either decimates Florida or decimates North Carolina. Right. South Carolina and Georgia are just like right in the uprights. The middle child that somehow misses the fray. An attorney for the officer charged in shooting an unarmed teen in East uh, Pittsburgh says the judge in the case may be biased. During a pretrial conference, Michael Rosfeld's attorney argued Judge Anthony Mariani's appearance on PCNC's Night Talk June 21st had him weighing in on whether the shooting was justified and questioning police training. Mariani was not assigned at the case at that time. Several Western Pennsylvania colleges are being ranked among the best values for students. U.S. News & World Report's annual Best Colleges issue ranks Geneva College in Beaver Falls, Seton Hill University in Greensburg, and Slippery Rock in the top 60 northern U.S. schools for providing a high-quality education at a lower cost. Seton Hill also recognized among the best colleges for veterans. Not everybody sitting in the back of the class is a slacker. While you might think uh, students who sit in the back of a lecture hall are slackers and those who sit up front are eager beavers, the new study says that really isn't true. Researchers found it doesn't matter where students sit during class. Those in the back aren't necessarily daydreaming or sleeping or whatever. Instead, they might not want to be the center of attention in front of 200 of their peers. So they stay engaged and get good grades, but from a distance. I just feel like that does not pass the sniff test. No. no. See, for me it did because I did not want to be noticed at all. Did you, you in the back? I, I, if ever I could sit in the back, I always did. I'm not saying there wasn't sprinkling of diamonds in the roughs, students 
in there, but oh, who, I was who, who are you? But... Who are you sitting around? I don't even probably remember. not like-minded, interested people. <laughs> probably people that were trying to you know sleep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I feel like the draw. slackers sat in the back. I mean, I sat in the back, and I know I was slacking. They were drawing marijuana leaves on their t- tablets. Yeah. I'm trying to <laughs> remember. Mrs. Led Zeppelin. <laughs> I think I was more of a middle-of-the-room kind of guy because I felt like you could get away with the most there. Uh, you it, feel like you weren't in the target area. Yeah, you were, you were the was... Georgia of uh, school <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you could, you could goof off a little bit more. It was probably easier to sleep in the middle of the room. Like, oh man, were that I, many people sleeping in class? I slept in class a lot. I couldn't sleep in a room that big. I just God. kept like <laughs> nodding out with drool coming out the of my mouth. Drool factor was just always brutal all over your desk. <laughs> but, See, I don't know. Yeah, yeah I, I think I, I think I went for the middle. Like I'm trying to think of like all my. I'm picturing myself in those classes in high school, and it was I was pretty much in the. I middle. had a teacher one time, and I don't remember if this was in college or not. But they basically they must have done studies, you know, back you know 15 years ago where they the teacher told us this she goes the best students sit in the very front two rows or like down the middle like a power t Mm -hmm. and so i always was just like well if if there's going to be some bias here i might as well plop my butt right down in the good zone and hopefully i can get some (laughs) brownie points or something i got screwed freshman year of my high school because they did alphabetical yeah so i was like i always had to sit in the first three or four seats usually alphabetical seating Mm mm-hmm Kind of 1984 fascist government. Well, yeah, that was about then. <laughs> I went to I went to the I dead, guess, yeah, yeah. Was. I went to the uh, Dead Poet Society school. Basically, <laughs> it's funny too because a lot of my classes were that way. And when I think about it, all my friends, my best friends, all had a similar like letters in the same yeah. vicinity of me, like R S P. Yeah, I mean that's how it went. Yeah. No, I, mean, I when I was in school, I wanted to be noticed as little as possible. I hated walking in a room last. That's what I always say about these high school movies is that everyone, you know, my wife's been watching a lot of these, like this new batch of like teen romance Boy, there's a bunch of them, isn't there? And she's going bananas over them. But like, I just remember like everyone looks back at high school so fondly, like, oh, we had so much fun. Like, this is the greatest time. Here's an impression of me in high school. What? No. Like that was that, like that was me. Like, I can't. All, no, please. Is that today? Yeah. Uh-uh. Every decision that I made was triple and and quadruple questioned. It was it was a a, a time where you did not want to. You wanted to fly under the radar as much as possible. First year, the fr- my freshman year was definitely like that. Freshman year was kind of you were terrified a little bit quietly. Yeah. Well, did, after that, it wasn't had, so bad. Did you have a junior high and a senior high? Nope. Nine, uh, yeah. ten, eleven, twelve. That's oh, what we well, were too. That, but my school was seven through twelve. Right. Whoa, that's a the big high grouping. School. Yeah. No, but it was a like, my graduating Small, class had yeah. eighty-eight people. Oh, okay. In it. Okay. Yeah. So. Right, but I think like it's a little harder when you were in seventh grade to be thrust into the middle of like all of those what seemed like at that time yeah. adults. Maybe that was what traumatized me and why I didn't want to be noticed ever. Probably. <laughs> I, just I just remember though, like even though it was scary. Because I, this is how I feel like I'm old now. Because I remember things in high school, like one kids used to be able to smoke in high school. Like yeah. right before I got there, they they axed that. Wait, kids got, what kid, do you mean in high school? They could just smoke out in the courtyard. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, like not they, no one was like putting a cigarette out in the teacher's desk and being like, all "You're gonna give me a beam with built-in ashtrays." <laughs> they definitely smoked in the bathrooms. I so. went to Blackboard Jungle. <laughs> we got uh, hazed by the seniors. 
They used to fill up oh hacky sacks full of stones and basically like stone you against oh a wall. Oh my god! Where Dear did you Lord. go to school? Huh? I went to St. Clair. This was <laughs> this was back in yeah. This is a little yeah. <laughs> but uh, you learned valuable lessons. Like I remember one time we were walking through the courtyard where all the seniors were, and it was me and my buddy, and he was wearing a bright orange Reese's peanut butter cup shirt. <laughs> and they they as we were walking, we were like, "Crap! Don't make eye contact! Like they're gonna pelt us with these Here hacky come the sacks." Cats. Yeah, he, they go stop, kids. And I, I was kids. right at the I was right at the door, and I just kept walking like I didn't hear them. But my buddy stopped, and I and he he I was like total mistake. You made eye contact, yeah. you acknowledged, and then he came back like 15 minutes later to the lunch table and just his head down on the desk because he just got absolutely walloped. But I was <laughs> like, "There's your fly under the radar. Don't wear a bright orange Reese's Pieces peanut butter cup oh. shirt through the courtyard. <laughs> Stay under the radar." That is good advice at any time. Boy, it is, it's so funny hearing you saying that. The The goal was basically to not get beat up for the first year. Like, I, every day. Like, oh, I don't yeah. want to get beat up. I don't want to get beat up. And it's the seniors who do it because they don't care. And it could it's be just... It's and confused. Oh, well, the hazing that went on in my school was fairly, you know, consistent and regimented. It was bad <laughs> when my brother... Like, five years before my brother was there, there was, like, a, a bunch of wedgie-in going on. People were, yeah, like, like, like ripping, ripping on their pants. Yeah. And someone got, like, really hurt. It was, like, one of those after-school specials <laughs> where it was, like, you know... You know Kids, uh, let's talk about swollen yeah. genitals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, Billy Yablonski great... tore his rectum, <laughs> and that is not rectum. funny. And uh, so it, it actually did <laughs> damn near kill him. But it had, a, like, a slingshot effect because the priests were, like, at that point, trying stopped to keep you. Yeah, they stopped. <laughs> they just stopped paying attention to us all together. Uh, they, um, they, they, like, went on, like... <laughs> Double time trying to keep seniors from beating up the kids. Oh. So then you were like, they were like, oh, even more mad because, you know, they thought you were getting away with it. Like, I, oh, I'll get you. I just, you, this just, tri you know how like sometimes when you talk about something, it just triggered a memory. I remember seeing some kid get group wedgied, like six people like were like grabbing <laughs> his underpants. And he looked at me because I knew him oh. with this like look of help me. And I was like. I cannot. <laughs> I cannot help you. you. You have made some decisions that I cannot support at this point. I wore the Reese's Cup shirt yeah, again. that's it, man. Did you ever see anybody get swirlied? Yes. I What's did not. I, I've never really? seen anybody uh, get dunked swirlied. head in the toilet. Oh. And then you flush it. It was... Uh, Sw hence, swirly. That is Ooh. one of the... That's where it like crossed the line. Like upon reflection, like the wedgie was still kind of funny. The swirly, up, like at the time, it was crazy, and you were like, "Whoa, what's going on?" But now, upon reflection, you're like, "What? What kind of animals were we back then?" That was <laughs> awful. The swirly is the most egregious of all. Ugh, of it makes the... me cringe just thinking that. Like that's a point where I, uh, where I think like, "Why did you? You should have just at least walked out, like not been cheering the whole thing on." Like that just makes me cringe thinking about it. But... It's the waterboarding of high school. <laughs> Yeah. There was a lot of people who disagreed with it, other people who thought it was good. Uh, no, hey, I got good information from that kid. You don't un you don't know. Oh god. Yeah, I, I I'm thankful that I wasn't like always targeted, but I I mean, I remember the first year seeing fights after school and like, do I have to do this one day? Is oh. it like is it like my am I up girl at fights? some point? Well, you went to an all boys school. Yeah. I don't there think I ever saw any girl fights. Yeah, there oh, were a girl couple fights in our were school. vicious. They there were was blood, mean, hair flying. 
The Some uh, people from my class got together over the weekend. It was kind of a loose reunion, and I kind of wanted to go. But All then the pa- loose chicks. Part-, <laughs> 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 part of me was like, yeah, I don't need to go back to that. Yeah. My ex grew up in uh, New Jersey and told me all the time that she fought like with regularity. Like, it Are was you a kidding? Thing that her and her friend fought constantly. Against like, other people or girls. to them? Girls. They fought other like, girls. All the time. Like, yes. Physical wow. fights happen. And she was not like, I mean. Ashamed? No, she wasn't like, uh, you know, an Olympian. She, oh. You know what I mean? Like, oh, like she was yeah. just. She, an average size. Yeah, you would not feel, you would not look at her and be like, oh, that girl probably fought all the time. Yeah, I would never guess that. She's at like, Alderdice, the girl fights were the, the easiest ones to break up because they took the longest to start. Because the girls had to take off like all their earrings. <laughs> hold on, you want to go? Taking off their necklaces. All like, right, all right. Hold on, you hold this. You hold this. You make guys. Come on, let's just end this. There was. There's still nothing though that would get my blood excited than yelling a fight out in a in a in a middle school locker room. That was like the pinnacle of of your of your year. Whenever you saw the fights going on. Middle school, oh, yeah. I feel like, though, they, they were low risk. No one was really going right. to get hurt. Now, it's different yeah. if you're in the Steelers gold lot. Someone's going to get curb stomped out there. But oh, yeah. in middle uh, school, you know, it was, it was a some, bloody nose. some pretty vicious fights at Risenstein. I bet. There's a couple dudes in there where I was like, are you 30? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why do you have a beard? It's seventh grade. The answer is they were they were 22. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been held back 17 times. <laughs> Part of my work release program. <laughs> yeah, high school, that's when it gets into the, uh, you know, assault kind of uh, phase. Well, it, that, it could that's, a, that's at the point where at least guys' bodies, at least, are men. they probably not men in mentality, but, like, that's why I'll sometimes walk through South Hills Village Mall and be like, God damn, that's, that 10th grader could beat the crap out of me right there. <laughs> and what are you going to do? You can't do anything. I always think I have old man strength now, which I never take into account. See, I think old man strength is a myth. I don't think you actually are stronger. I just think you know how to like pinch people and put pressure points on people <laughs> and like bend fingers yeah, back you don't and just bite people. Useless yeah, energy. No. You really conserve it and you, have you know to, you have a very small to, amount of it. You're trying to keep your place on the mountaintop, so you're willing to do more despicable things to win that fight. <laughs> Crotch punches, you know, shoving people's <laughs> bones up their nose. You know, Hacky sacks filled with stones. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I didn't thought about it. Because like, once you have a family, there's a whole new set of like risk factors in terms of your embarrassment level. Now you're not just representing yourself. Like You can't get beat up. No. I can't get beat up in front of my kids, no. man. But it's I'm gonna be a weird ride home. I've said this before: is that you know my kids are going. They have little mutant genetics lurking around in their DNA because my father-in-law is like six four, two fifty. My wife's five eleven, and I'm pretty much like average size. But they're going to at some point be in their very young age be able to physically overpower me. <laughs> so I need to mentally terrorize them as much as humanly possible, <laughs> so that they they fear that that the repercussions <laughs> of that consequence. My dad and I, he's 64. We just had this conversation. He, we, I don't even remember what we were talking about, but he goes, you know, I think probably at this point you could take me. And I was like, I was, I, we were in the car. I was like. I just got real panicked. I was like, "What are you sizing me up right now?" I was like, "I can't. I'm, I'm not. I'm not trying to do that." That's the same thing with dad strength. You know, you mm-hmm. just you're not going to do it. Well, you're brother, afraid of the repercussions. Brothers is another one. Ugh. If you get, you, you can't get beat up by your younger brother. That and you like, can't ever beat up your older brother. Right. 
it just for some reason it's it's a really hard thing to do. I don't know how my like my brother and I used to like slap and smack each Did other. Did you all the do time. wrestling in your living oh, room? Oh yeah, my brother would like pretend I'm throwing you off the turnbuckle and he yeah. would throw me across the room. <laughs> but we would There's like no turnbuckles scream and fight and like hit each other. Yeah. I don't know how my I mean my brother really I I was the one hitting him, but yeah. how did my parents put up with that? Yeah, I mean you were outside and they were inside probably. Maybe. I don't know. There was some kind of been stuff. breaking stuff. There was just like a weird, you know, when you put dogs in a room and they bark and it seems really bad. You're like they're gonna start tearing each other's faces apart and then they just settle down and everything's cool. <laughs> That's kind of what it was like with a bunch of kids. Like yeah. in my family, especially like, boys. Yeah, it seemed like it was gonna get bad. And then it'd be like, all right, pecking orders established. Fine. We'll but watch that's whatever what's important, you watch. even with brothers and dads and everything like that, is that nobody really wants to upset the hierarchy. A younger brother doesn't really want to beat up his older brother, and uh, the oldest oh, son doesn't really mine. want to ever beat up his dad because they know after the hierarchy crumbles, like what's left, there's nothing right. out there. You don't want them chaos. to not have the higher that, right. that status. The young buck challenging the older buck. Yeah, you don't. It's 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 bittersweet. You you, you hold the crown, but then you've upset the uh, right. The order. Vince Vaughn is due in court next month. His attorney was in a Los Angeles courtroom yesterday on behalf of the actor facing DUI charges. No plea was entered. A judge rescheduled his arraignment for October 19th. Vaughn was arrested after getting busted during a sobriety checkpoint in June in Manhattan Beach. Former Cosby Show actor Jeffrey Owens is scoring another acting job after getting shamed for working at Trader Joe's. The 57-year-old just accepted a guest-starring role on the fifth season of CBS's NCIS New Orleans. He also recently picked up a recurring role on Tyler Perry's show, The Have and the Have-Nots, on the OWN network. Owens was photographed bagging groceries at a Trader Joe's in New Jersey last week, but had to quit that job because of all the ridicule that he got. He later revealed he had to get that job because all the Cosby reruns got shut down. And oh, he was yeah. making money oh, off yeah. of that. So that money all went away. Well, uh, somebody, I think it was Jim Florentine, one of those New York comics, tweeted out something to the effect of, Trader Joe's is a better agent than I've ever had. <laughs> this guy's going to parlay it. He's getting all sorts of gigs. Yeah. I got I to gotta apply at Vaughn's. I got to get some work. And finally, Jimmy Fallon canceled at the last minute an appearance by Norm MacDonald. The same day MacDonald was scheduled for The Tonight <laughs> Show, he told The Hollywood Reporter, quote, I'm happy the hashtag MeToo movement has slowed down a little bit, end quote. Naturally, MacDonald was widely criticized for his comment. NBC it's issued ridiculous. a statement yeah, last night saying, quote, out of sensitivity to our audience and in light of Norm MacDonald's comments in the press today, The Tonight Show has decided to cancel his appearance on Tuesday. If you telecast. read what he said, it in no way, shape, or form is about him saying that this shouldn't exist. What he was saying was there needs to be, not every incident is the same. And he praised Jimmy Fallon in the interview. That's the weird thing. He talked about, he's like, you know, I feel bad for Jimmy Fallon. Because, uh, you know, his guy just wants to go out and be silly and be funny. And that's the goal. And everybody's uh, criticizing him. You know, everybody has to be political now. And I, 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 you know, some guys just want to be funny. And he actually was like on Jimmy Fallon's side. And then for Jimmy Fallon's producers, with I'm sure Jimmy Fallon's, you know, had to know about it. Mm -hmm. for, for them to cancel him, especially since Lauren Michaels is the executive producer of that show. Right. Based on those comments... Like almost flew in the face of what he said about Jimmy Fallon before, mm -hmm. 
or rather said, no, actually didn't fly in the face of it. It kind of corroborated what he said because he's like, no, this guy doesn't want to be political. That's a drag. That's just weak. That's so unbelievably infuriatingly weak. It's just, it's, uh, it's crazy. Did you guys read the interview? No, I did not. Mm -mm. It's what he said was, I'm glad it slowed down a little bit because you got guys like it used to be a hundred women can't be wrong to now one woman can't ever be wrong. And he's like, well, look at Chris Hardwick. He's like, I think that guy got kind of screwed and everything. Now, I can see where some people might take his comments as being sort of flippant, but he was just making a point that you can't always, every single time, judge one person. Not everybody's Bill Cosby right away because of an accusation, is what he was trying to say. He was trying to inject nuance into a conversation where there has not been allowed to be any. This is my overall question, though, because so many, like, there, there's bands that are changing their lyrics. There's a band that I like that won't do a song that they wrote 12 years ago because it's about a, two girls fighting over a guy, and that's anti-feminist, so they're not going to do that song anymore. Really? Like, yeah. Yeah. Para, Paramore, the song's called Misery Business. Don't ask me why oh. a 34-year-old guy likes Paramore, because, but <laughs> uh, uh, anyway. It's a different subject. But it's just, it's, doesn't it seem silly that there's that much, like, at what point, I think everyone's scared of a boycott, but at what point has a boycott been successful? There's, there's always been threatening of boycotts. Everyone's preemptively axing all these guests, and Jimmy Fallon and Norm go way back. That seems like kind of a betrayal of a longer friendship, too. Yeah, it does. Like, you can't stick... But That's the other thing, is you can't stick by anyone anymore. You have well, to immediately abandon them. When you see somebody getting group wedged, you're like, yeah. I cannot yeah, help you. Yeah, that's true. You, you know what I mean? Cannot, I, I cannot I, help you. I feel, I feel <laughs> bad for oh, Fallon like, in that, that situation, because he's like, um, well, now you just got yourself thrown in the wood chipper. Yeah. So, what can anybody else do? He is. It uh, sucks, because it's not a good climate to... Like Dave Chappelle said at one point, uh, when whenever I saw him and perform at Radio City Music Hall, he said, "Comics have to be allowed to screw up. We got to be allowed to make mistakes. We we got to be able to cross the line, so we know where the line is. Sometimes we're going to go over. It's not going to be good, and then we're going to come back and retreat. And all we're doing is exploring expression and saying things." We're not actually doing things, which is a much bigger deal. But sometimes or endorsing things like people uh, get more upset about something somebody says than about action somebody takes. That was just like Bill Burr was on that New York Today, and the, and the host of the New York show said, hey, "In your act, you really go after the Catholic Church. Do you think those jokes go too far?" And he sort of looks at them for a second. He goes. Don't you think the Catholic Church went a little far? He goes, I, I'm just telling jokes. He goes, right. you're mad. that's what you're bringing up at this point? Right, exactly. I can't believe Fallon canceled Norm McDonald. Norm was getting vilified pretty good on Twitter yesterday by, like, you know, hardcore lefties. But I can't. I, I still cannot believe they did that. That is uh, relatively shocking. Forecast today, clouds and sun and rain and maybe thunder in there as well. Temperatures in the low 70s. It's 60 at DVE. I say relatively because there's so much that is actually truly shocking these days that it's hard for me to be right. really shocked about talk show uh, drama. Jeff Cockles here, Mr. Wednesday. Uh, once again, Mike Pursuta will be in with your sports here momentarily. Uh, we've got a huge 
slate of guests for you today. Merrill Hodge will be on at 745. Also, Ashley Murray from the PG talks about the new PG crime podcast, To Love and To Perish. Hmm. These are getting big. The crime podcast. Yeah, yeah. who's that about? I love that. Uh, it's about uh, local crime. Yeah, I know, but it's is it about one specific case? Yes, I can't remember which one it is okay. right now. Because I saw Joe? the headline and I thought maybe it was about the doc, the researcher at Pitt That's who what murdered I think his it wife. Is. I think it's a love oh, triangle, but yeah, not sure specific. I think it's the doctor Pitt. I think that's the one it is. Because didn't Ashley write the book? Or no, Paula wrote the book about them. Yeah, I don't remember. All right, I'm confused. Frank Caliendo <laughs> will be on the show. He'll clear it up. Mark Madden after that. <laughs> DV. DVE Sports. Mike Mercedes got your sports right now on the DVE Morning Show. And the coach speaking to his minions yesterday. <laughs> he was speaking to somebody. Sports is our <laughs> brought to you by Xfinity from Comcast. Uh, among the Subjects broached yesterday during Mike Tomlin's weekly gathering with the media, the James Conner fumble in the fourth quarter. You remember that when the Steelers were up by 14 points. There were seven and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter. All they had to do was hit the line three times and punt it back to the Browns. Hell, all they had to do was take a knee three times if they wanted to go that far and punt the ball back to the Browns. And the game probably ends 21-7 Steelers, but... I don't remember that, Mike. Can you be it more specific? didn't happen that way. James Conner uh, got the ball and fumbled it, and the Browns returned it to the one-yard line. Touchdown. All the people who were headed out the door into various parts of Ohio turned around and came back. The Browns <laughs> came back, and it ended up in a tie. Mike Tomlin's uh, assessment of all that transpired in that particular instance yesterday was that fumbles happen. You know, I'm not overanalyzing that play. It's a play you'd like to have back. It's a play he'd like to have back. It's a play from a blocking standpoint we'd like to have back. They had a guy in the damn backfield chasing him. So <laughs> um, it's just football. Uh, we're not going to overanalyze it. We're definitely not going to, um, you know, um, have an overreaction. Yeah, that was Al Villanueva got uh, Ooh, smoked got by smoked on Miles that one. Garrett. But, but I mean, Connors kind of a loud Miles Garrett. Ball. <laughs> yeah. What, now, you're saying it as if you're trying to prove uh, the point that uh, some people are not accepting that James Conner has any culpability. You know me well, Randall. And, you know, it's not, oh, he had X number of yards, so it's okay. He's supposed to get the yards. He's not supposed to fumble. The goalie makes 17, 25, 38 great saves and then gives up one from center ice. It's not okay. Well, we were admittedly rooting a whole lot harder for James Conner than we were for Fitz Toussaint in that playoff game in in Denver. Um, Just by virtue of we know James Conner and he's got a history here. So there was going to be a lot of leeway for whatever performance shortcomings he might have had. They still were up two touchdowns. So I think there's some validity to some of the people who are trying to come to his defense here. This is my problem, though, is that I've, I feel like I've heard primarily about how J- the James Conner fumble was the turning point of the game, and it's spoken of as, as though that was the only turnover of the game. There was five others <laughs> that, that, that had, and, and it's definitely not getting, and that, those were committed by one person that we know and also love and have watched grow up, you know, that type of thing. Who so, committed one after that that really yeah. did lose the game. Four of them happened before the James Conner fumble, and they were still up 14. The James right. Conner fumble put the ball at the one-yard line. No doubt that was the turning point. Okay, I guess the defense theoretically still could have stopped them. That's not against the rules. Yeah. Four shots from the one-yard line is is a lot to ask. And the, the Browns were uh, dead, dead men walking at that point, and that rejuvenated them and got them back in the game. Um, 
hey, it wasn't the only mistake, but it was the critical turning point mistake. If you take that one away, they win the game, right? Unless somebody fumbled on the next play. Well, that could have happened, too, the way things were going. Uh, It's not that uh, fumbles are acceptable, Mike Tomlin maintained, but they do happen. Uh, It's something the Steelers uh, aren't going to try to guard against any more fervently now in the wake of that Connor fumble because that's something, guarding against fumbles, is something they do all along. We don't wait for things to happen to to preach ball security. Um, Since day zero of our offseason, I'll walk past the running backs and stretch, and I say, take care of the football. The rest is just learning. It's going to be a good day if we do those things. Um, I say that every day. I've probably said that to him every day he's been here, so I'm not going to change now. And he does that. That's when they're stretching and getting ready Mm -hmm. for prey. He goes around to every group and has some coaching point to emphasize. I don't think Big Al took enough criticism on that play. Because you sent that footage to me yesterday, Ran, of of his block on Garrett. You got one of the best defenders in the league, and you just slap him on the back of the hands. There was another one that Ben talked about where there was a an RPO, and uh, the run pass option uh, uh, didn't have him in a run block situation. And Garrett just like ran right past him, I guess. I don't know, or had him in didn't have him in pass protection, and Ben chose the pass. Do you know okay. what I'm talking about? I, I do not. Ben was talking about it and said, like, oh, yeah, well, we weren't so he wasn't set up for pass block at that point, you know, because I went the other way with it. And he was ta- I think it was one of the fumbles. The one that happened after that, I watched uh, some of the game again yesterday, and it, the the subsequent one wasn't where he was holding the ball too long. He was trying to get rid of it. It was a bad snap. Yeah. He, that- he picked it up and was trying to throw it quick to somebody on the right side. And they had a scheme where. DeCastro was supposed to pull from right guard and seal off Garrett, and he just didn't get there. And Garrett just came in and blasted Roethlisberger. Same type of thing. I don't know if he got breathed on. Mm -hmm. Uh, He just he had a dominating monster game. Oh yeah, they just did not deal with him well at all. And uh, that was part of the problem in that twenty-one twenty-one tie. Another part of the problem with that six. uh, I still can't believe we tied. Another problem with that six to one turnover ratio wasn't just the offense giving up the football; it was the defense not taking it away more than once. Any element of ball security is twofold. Um, whether you're talking on the defensive side in terms of your opportunities to get it and how you seek it, or whether you're talking about the securing of it on offense, it always is. Yeah, they pounded Tyrod Taylor. He fumbled once. The Browns recovered it. There's you, you can take it away from them too. So these are things to work on heading into Sunday's game against Kansas City. The uh, line of the day from Mike Tomlin, and probably I'm the only one interpreting this as the line of the day, but he was talking about the Kansas City offense and how good Tyreek Hill is this year. He's not not just a burner and a return guy and a gadget play guy that you try to take advantage of his speed. He has become a complete receiver. He can run better routes, go up and get the ball, make combat catches. Uh, Mike Tomlin called Tyreek Hill, quote, their chief receiving threat. A waka waka. Nobody laughed. Yeah, it's not that funny. Oh, come on. I thought it was funny. That's funny. He wasn't trying to be funny. No, he wasn't. I don't even think he realized he did it. But he thinks they're chief receiving threat. They're the Kansas City Chiefs. That's funny. I mean, if he said, if he just kept going with Indian analogies, he's like, uh, he uses every part of the field. Uh, <laughs> Except the parts we take away. Yeah. <laughs>
We have reservations about playing Kansas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you went that far, then I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. That would be great. He should have done a monologue like that. He should start doing that every week. Just come out with a monologue instead of what he does. <laughs> they don't take time out TOs. They take TPs. <laughs> <laughs> Got a lot of reservations about this game. Oh, sure. Really good offense. Well, no, Really look. bad defense for Kansas City. Oh, really that, bad. Good. Can't emphasize it. Enough. I'm no, dude, it's making me feel better because that offense looks awesome. Uh, their know, secondary makes the Steelers' secondary look great. The Sporting News had a list of the worst quarterbacks going, starting quarterbacks going into the league. Mahomes was second to last. Oh, that's a complete. I'm like, what the hell are you guys? Uh, how bad did you have that one? This was prior. This was in the you know during camp. Okay. Well, then now. But I can see that now because then they haven't seen him play. It's right. They're like, oh, apparently the Chiefs decided one game was enough to get rid of Alex Smith, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Were, yeah, guess what? They were guess right. Guess what? They were right, yeah. And I'm an Alex Smith fan. I think that guy's a little underrated. I don't think he's Aaron Rodgers. but I, No, I he's think, good. I think he's a very effective winning starting quarterback who knows what he's doing. But this kid is electric. He can do it all. Uh, my concern from, from their perspective would be getting him killed because they ask him to do a little too much. All right, we got Merrill Hodge coming up at 7.45. Uh, also, Frank Caliendo, 9.20. Val's got news, top of the hour. What do you got? We're going to talk about when you're most likely to see a spider and the fun for them reason why. More with Jeff Conkle, Mr. Wednesday. Spiders when we come being back your here. chief threat. DV. It's Randy Bauman and the DVE Morning Show. Uh, mm-hmm. Jeff Conkle, Mr. Wednesday, hanging out with us here this morning. We haven't played the song. Oh, yeah. I, I, don't ha- I don't know what happened to it. It feels weird. Mr. Wednesday is here. I feel like if Jeff was actually going to sing yeah. one of the songs, it would be this one, this version of it. No, I'd go for the uh, gloomier one. Oh, yeah. I'd, I'd come out in a druid robe with a fog light. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you were druish. Yeah. <laughs> so there was uh, an interview with Paul McCartney that was published yesterday uh, in GQ. And the interviewer vowed that he was not going to let Paul just tell the same old stories that he'd always told in the past. You know, there's like a bunch of Beatles stories we've oh, all come heard. On. Those, everybody well, loves those t- stories, yeah, right. though. Exactly. <laughs> just those are of... some of my classics. <laughs> Dude, I like your Paul McCartney. Uh, well, he did uh, go somewhere where uh, nobody's ever taken Paul right, McCartney into conversation before. Story. I've never really told anyone. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds like Bing Crosby has <laughs> gone to the other side of the pond. The, uh, bah, 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 bah. the interviewer asked about you know sexual exploits <laughs> back in the day, in particular, kind of like when they were, had their sexual awakening and being that they were you know before they became the Beatles and when they were still on stage in at the Cavern Club and stuff like that. They were boys. Yes, they were just boys, you know. <laughs> but he talked about the time that John Lennon. And Paul McCartney, a few guys uh, showed up at John's house. Here's what he said. It was over at John's house, and it was just a group of us. And instead of getting roaring drunk and partying, we were all just in these chairs, and the lights were out, and somebody started masturbating. So uh, we all did. You know, I mean, we were together. You know, we did everything together. It was the circle bleep, you know? (laughs) Oh, my God. He said, then they started shouting the names of people that might help uh, inspire them in the moment. 
He's, he's <laughs> like, oh, is this like a, a call-in show? <laughs> he's like, we were just like, Bridget Pato, whoo! And then everybody would thrash <laughs> a bit more. I like that term, thrash. Thrash. He said, but then Lennon killed the mood by bringing up Winston Churchill, which is, <laughs> I mean, look, if you're going to have a funny joke in the middle of a mass masturbation, that's a pretty good one. I never thought about trying to have a, a joke ready, but probably break the tension. He wasn't really that hot, though. <laughs> Paul admits it sounds raunchy when you think about it, but he says it was good, harmless fun. It didn't hurt anyone. Not even Bridget Bardot. Okay, it's very weird. Everybody made the joke about Beatles song titles. I mean, of course, this one comes to mind right? immediately. <laughs> but I don't think that's what they meant. Or at least I didn't think I hope that's not. what they meant. Particularly if you dig down on the lyrics of that one. Hopefully that's not what John Lennon... <laughs> Did you see someone wrote on Twitter, they said Ed Sullivan should have in- introduced him as Beat the Meatles? <laughs> <laughs> not my joke. <laughs> that's a Twitter joke. Uh, yeah, there was a great show to one. Someone, they were all like, people were trying their, you know, uh, out all the best Beatle puns to use in regards to this. We can jerk it out, I thought was the best one. <laughs> Masturbate days a week. <laughs> I like it. I love But you know how people always try to copy the success of the Beatles? I you know I wonder yeah. if now there's band meetings going on uh, you know across the oh, world right meetings. now. <laughs> Guys, Imagine Dragons just sat down on a sectional couch, <laughs> turned turned the lights out, and said, like, "Guys, we need to come like, up with something uh, here." Puff, it's a dragon. Oh, that I was imagining. <laughs> oh. Yeah, so I don't know. Very weird. I, this just I, I kind of think like maybe when you're 76, you shouldn't do interviews anymore. Because now we, I could have gone my entire life without knowing the story. I am always going to think about this stupid story. It's like the Al Roker crapping his pants in the White House. <laughs> a distinguished career marred by a, a side comment in, in an interview. I want a follow-up interview with Quincy Jones and be like, the Beatles didn't even know how to beat their meat. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't say that. Uh, um, you really let that one go a while. Yeah, I was trying. I can't remember what the, the dump button is. Um, <laughs> it's funny because in the interview, he does talk about the Quincy Jones comments about the Beatles, and he says it's all a lie and none of that ever happened. He goes, that's the problem with memory when you get really old. You forget things and you make things well, up. What was he forgetting well, right. that? Do you think they cut this part out of the James Corden car interview? <laughs> <laughs> They're <laughs> just at a stoplight. I haven't seen it yet, but from what I heard, it sounds like James Corden was doing it for the entire segment. Yeah, he uh, was. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. <laughs> I still haven't watched it yet. I have to go back and watch that one. <laughs> but we really didn't need to know this about Paul McCartney. No. Or John Lennon. Well, don't you think this like paints them as a little bit more authentic? Like, if you're going to be free love and everything like that, you know, you got you to gotta walk the walk. <laughs> Get a yank the yank, I guess. I, I don't know. I always thought they were Brits, but apparently they were Yanks, pal. <laughs> it doesn't, you know, take away my enjoyment of Beatles songs. I just didn't want to wa- I didn't want to know You don't know need this. to know. But what did you think? Like, if, if you really asked yourself the question, like, if someone came up to you before you heard this interview and posed this as a theoretical and said, do you think this might have happened? Would you have said yes or no way? If, if it was... If the context was in Germany, I might have said yes. Okay, possibly. What if they? What if they were having an orgy? 
Well, he said he didn't like orgies. Yeah. Okay, but what if? I didn't Would that like be normal? Orgies. Would that be okay? I, I mean, if you're doing that at an orgy, I guess that's just like sitting on the sidelines, like when athletes ride a bike at halftime. <laughs> <laughs> I was more of a one-on-one guy, except for when it came to feeding the geese. <laughs> like to do that as a group it's just a strange story it's the most bizarre like the one that i have no problem believing is you know that george harrison lost his virginity basically in the same room as all of them or whatever when they were like bunked together go george go and they all clapped at the end of it (laughs) that's hilarious is clapped past tense for getting clap? No, oh, no. Okay. <laughs> then we all got to clap. Uh, <laughs> and he also talks about a time when Lennon slept with a married woman while her husband watched. That definitely doesn't surprise me. John Lennon yeah. definitely, I think, was the uh, most sexually adventurous, I guess, shall we say. You know, he's rumored to have had an affair with Brian Epstein. Um, what? Yeah. I always just wonder, though, like, I I always get bogged down in, like, the administrative details of that scenario that that uh, uh, Paul McCartney was describing. Like, you know, someone has to pitch that idea. Someone has to be the first one to suggest that and take the risk of everyone, like, beating the crap out of them or being like, yeah, let's go. I guess LSD probably helps uh, grease the gears, so yeah, to speak. Yeah, I don't know. If, I mean, if you were in a band, it's, I would leave the band. I got news for you if that happened. I mean, I understand that that kind of stuff is not necessarily, like, way outside of the norm and those things happen to pubescents or post-pubescent kids. But if that happened in a band I was in, I got news for you. I'm out. I mean, it's enough to get people to help you load your equipment in and out, <laughs> so to speak. Add that to the uh, to the mix of band duties. <laughs> no way. I don't know, Jeff. You're you're taking a very diplomatic uh, approach to this. Well, it's, I, th- I think because it's, it's a band. Yeah, but the, I mean, again, it's this goes like back you, to you just assume that they are debaucherous and. But that was back then. Like I, I feel like every rock band that's out there right now, with the exception of maybe some country singers, are completely asexual, like not even interested in it. Really? Like, yeah. Who, no, who, I think... who right now oozes male sexuality? Like, 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 hip-hop, can't get enough artists. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I could see that. I bet the '80s it was just crazy. Oh, '80s it was coming out of their jean shorts, I, I, so <laughs> sandex. Yeah, like it was probably a lot more of that went on. Well, there's a hilarious sketch in Mr. Show with Bob and David where they, they're band members in like this metal band, and they get called in for a meeting with their manager. He's like, "We've got a big problem, you guys." There's a sex tape, and they're like high five, and they're like, "Yeah, dude, all right, we're in a sex tape orgy." And he's like, "No, you don't understand." He plays with the tape, and it's the two of them having sex with each other, and then they like they watch the tape, and then they look at each other, and they're like, "Yeah!" And they high five. They're like, "Awesome!" I just never thought the Beatles were that. Well, hey. Look, they took they took credit for everything. Maybe maybe Paul McCartney wasn't in on this, but right. they had you know Lennon McCartney had to be the byline of everything that was uh, achieved by them. So, well, I didn't beat it, but I had to take credit for it because I should have known whenever we were doing it, and he yelled out Brian Epstein. <laughs> I thought that was very specific. But uh, to your point, Jeff, that's a risky one to bring up to the group. What do you guys say? Uh... Instead of, wouldn't it be crazy, guys? How funny would it be if? 
Uh, all right, so Jeff Conkle, Mr. Wednesday, with us. What do you got coming up here? Uh, I'm going to be at uh, Hambones on Saturday for a, for a nice little showcase show. If you haven't been to Hambones, sort of in Lawrenceville, it's one of the, uh, I guess, old guard bars over there, but I always refer to Hambones as basically like the comedy cellar of Pittsburgh. That's yeah, kind of great. like, it's like sort of a, a little, it's old school. There's not, there, you're not going to see any Edison bulbs hanging in there or polished granite countertops. It's... It's yeah. it's it's a relic of an old time, but it's a great place. It it's, has a good showroom too. Like yeah. it has one side that's a bar, and then the other side, which is like the the showcase room, and it's it's got a decent stage, and always there's good comics there. They've got a lot. Uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of Hambones, and they got good food. Yeah. Uh, okay, that's Saturday night. Yep, good deal. On the way for you, we got Frank Caliendo, Mark Madden, Merrill Hodge, and uh, Val's got news next. Val. Uh, we're going to talk about how you guys don't know how to dress your age. You're 100% right. Well, the hazing that went on in my school was fairly, you know, consistent and regimented. It was bad <laughs> when my brother, like five years before my brother was there, there was like a, a bunch of wedgie going on. People were like, yeah, getting, like, like ripping, ripping on their pants. Yeah. And someone got like really hurt. It was like one of those after school specials <laughs> where it was like, you know, you know. Kids, uh, let's raptor. talk about swollen yeah. genitals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like Billy Yablonski great... tore his rectum, and that is not rectum. funny. Oh, I'll get you. I just, you, this just tri- you know how like sometimes when you talk about something, it just triggered a memory. I remember seeing some kid get group wedgie, like six people like were like grabbing <laughs> his underpants, and he looked at me, because I knew him, oh. with this like look of help me, and I was like, I cannot. <laughs> I cannot help you. <laughs> Randy you Bellman some- and the DVE Morning Show. Jeff Conkle on the show there earlier, Mr. Wednesday. Val's got your news right now. we got a busy day. With Merrill Hodge, Frank Caliendo, Mark Madden. Also talk with uh, the PG's Ashley Murray about their new crime podcast, To Love and Perish. Val, what's up? Here's the Channel 11 Severe Weather Center forecast brought to us by Bridgeville Appliance. 11. It's 61 degrees at DVE. The news is brought to us by Dollar Bank. The former bishop of Pittsburgh says he will travel to Rome soon to discuss resigning his position with Pope Francis. Cardinal Donald Wuerl, now serving as Archbishop of Washington, D.C., was named nearly 200 times in that grand jury report into the sexual abuse of children by Catholic priests and covering it up. Uh, That was just here in the state of Pennsylvania. Wuerl's name has already been removed from North Catholic High School following that report. A new report says middle-class Americans are falling further behind the wealthy. The report by the Pew Research Center shows the median middle-class household income in 2016 was just under $78,500. That's 6% higher than in 2010. But during that same period, upper-income households saw their earnings grow by 9%. Pew says middle-income households had incomes ranging from 45000 to over 136000 in 2016. And in other money-related news, spend less on an engagement ring? Well, the more likely a marriage will last. The study found that men who spent between two and 4000 on an engagement ring had a higher rate of divorce than those who spent between five hundred dollars and $2,000 on a ring. But they didn't really give any reason why. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's, I don't know. Income based. They're marrying more for love than money. Yeah, I guess so. I think a lot of guys would uh, prefer to not have to spend three months of uh, their paycheck on a ring. Yeah, that's the old school standard. 
and is is that what the figure is? I like think so. Something? Three, three, two or three months. I don't know what the which is a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. I bought my ring with Chuck E. Cheese tickets I had left over. <laughs> it was really affordable. But I think this it says something about you as a couple if that's not an important thing. Mm-hmm. The cost of the ring. Yes. So, like you pointed out, probably more about love than money because who cares? Should be able to wear like a pop top ring. <laughs> or like a Which ring don't pop exist anymore. A ring pop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Every every two days you have to get another one. I don't know. The big trend now is those rubber rings. No, I think once you get married, that that ring pop will basically keep its form for years. <laughs> yeah. Just no no uh, going nope. at it, huh? Nope. No. No damage there. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, will not depreciate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, in light of last hour's conversation. I'm being yeah. careful, but no, boy, I there's can't. Well, let's you had not that, go any further. You have that teed up. Now, what were you talking about? Rubber rings? They're they're like rubber. <laughs> well, okay. that's very specific. Well, I mean, I don't know why you want me well, to say. I completely it's, understand. If you like, you see the people with those dark, uh, real dark toned rings. Yes. A lot of the time, it's it's rubber. Oh, that's, I'm cool with that. Whatever. Like, I, I bought Tim one because he lost his wedding ring. He's like, now you get the rubber one, Tim. Well, no, I was just like, we're really busy right now. We don't have time to go shopping for a ring. Here's this. Here's a washer. Yeah. I feel like John Candy of, sold those in planes, trains, and automobiles. I'm telling you, I see a <laughs> lot of people with those yeah. now. I like it. Why not? Yeah. Do it. I mean, the guy's ring is is really just such an afterthought at this point. Why not? I just think that's what he said. Make too. it rubber. <laughs> the Who guy's cares? the guy's ring is just to like put the scarlet letter on him, isn't it? It's just yes. like the take years. sold. <laughs> right. Well, what's the women's for? <laughs> well, that's is it that's for the point. same thing? Again, women like to have the ring. They like to have the nice ring. Like I know it's a sweeping generalization, but in it's general jewelry is more appreciated by a female yeah probably yes right in general yeah i mean there are women who dream about their wedding day their whole lives they dream about what kind of ring they're going to have and all that kind of stuff it's just not guys don't dream about guys. that stuff <laughs> they don't care it's not important you just sit and wait you just want me to get in trouble you're like no, waiting I'm for not. me you're like yeah I'm she's, she's, she's like keep going Keep going. Right. <laughs> I can see the stick in the box, and as soon as you go underneath there, she's going to pull the stick out, and then you're trapped. Let's see what she's doing. But isn't it a, isn't it a symbol for women too? Like, I'm I'm a, I'm out of the game, buddy. Yes, but there is a aesthetic importance to a woman's ring to the woman that the man doesn't share. The you guy can give him a about. rubber and yeah. throw it on his finger, Whoa. and he's happy with it. Um. <laughs> Like that looks weird on you. I got a lot of guys though, married guys don't wear wedding bands. Yeah, they're trying to get laid. <laughs> I don't well, think I they think, all are. I think a woman's ring is kind of like I'm off the market and look at this ring. <laughs> this is what it took to get me off the market. Right. You can't even afford anything close to this. You know what kind of lure it takes to land a fish like me? Right. <laughs> this one right here. That's exactly. I think that's more what it is. I saw somebody woman. not too long ago who I don't see very often with an enormous diamond on. I'm like, wow, who did you marry? Yeah. Every time and sometimes I wonder when they're that big, it's like, how do you function with that? 
thing on. Just your wrist is always falling down. You but have a string it. attached to your to your wrist that you pull it up so you can make it functional. It's like a marionette. Gotta get in the way. Probably. I don't know. I mean, you would you like? Wouldn't you be? You would not. Uh, you would be embarrassed if you had a humongo, you know, Muppet Show baseball diamond, a ring pop diamond. Yeah, like one yeah. of those huge ones. That's just not your style. Yeah. Guys, it's just sort of like, hey, look, I I can't be that big of a monster. Somebody's with me, and and <laughs> also I've been neutered. I took me in. Yeah, I've been rescued. All right, move on. People don't wash their hands properly. Actually, it's not our fault. It's those because uh, of the rings. Those yeah, those jet dryers in bathrooms. They're gross. They send plumes of bacteria and germs spraying through the air. Yeah, poonados. Yes, a new study recommends hospitals, especially, ban the high-powered dryers to fight the spread of germs. Researchers found hospital bathrooms with jet dryers can have five times as much bacteria than those that just use paper towels. Isn't it just kind of like killing a gnat with a sledgehammer those things like it, they didn't have to reinvent the wheel paper towels work great do they have the kind in the men's room that you stick your hand down in yes the dryer the it's, dyson blade yes yeah i know the model <laughs> wow <laughs> you, do, do you have one at home no i was just so impressed when they came out i thought like this is the future probably like we're gonna walk out of a shower into one of these one day but maybe that keeps the germs from spreading because it's like enclosed. I don't know. I think it just kick, kicks it up. It's not like those germs don't need a whole lot to get go- any disturbance in the force. And I think that stuff gets going. <laughs> I could be wrong. I don't know. But that, wouldn't it be cool if there was a Dyson blade that you walked through out of the shower and it dried you that off? That might be painful. Maybe. For... Yeah. That oh, yeah. Well, that's true. I had thought, and, and thought, thought about that part of it. You just walk out of there holding your stomach. I'm so dry. You have to cup yourself before. Yeah, that's probably it. It's like the opposite of going through the x ray machine at TSA at the airport. So if your hand's going up, they go down. Hold it. You're dry. Because it's the air version of the wheel blast at the uh, the car wash. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, you guys, not you in particular, you men, uh, you do not know how to dress your age. No, I don't. Researchers at the University of Kent in England found men are less likely than women to think some clothes may be too young for them. Seems guys have a different relationship with clothing than women do, and it continues later into life. There's a lot less anxiety about what they choose to wear, which leads to guys dressing in, and I'm not sure why this is so awful for older men, bright, colorful shirts, even when they're getting up there in age. I feel like old guys, I mean, like 70s, 60s, they're the ones who really throw caution to the wind. They're like, I don't care, and they'll have like a really crazy colored shirt. You got to be that old to to not care anymore. Yeah. You can be like, you know what? I've always liked aqua. I'm wearing it. (laughs) (laughs) But most guys dress like the same way their whole life, and they're always searching for. It's like the cargo shorts thing, you know, where they like. And I, I think those are going to come back again. You watch. I'm a big fan of the cargo short. Yes, it's It's like a fanny pack on your leg. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. But oh my god! But you don't wear them, do you? Cargo shorts? Yeah, I don't think i've ever had i've had pants that have pockets on the i side. had a girl light me up one time and it traumatized me for, for wearing cargo yeah. shorts 
Well, sure. um, what's that? That's that's wrong. I don't I'm know, all, man. I I'm, think I'm I might have had it. mandals on too. There was, a, there was <laughs> well, it was a shuttle package. It might have been a package. Yeah, it was a whole. It might have been. Did right. you have one of those knit beanies on, <laughs> like the crocheted? Yeah, thing? I might have been. I might have been in colors. full post neo hippie mode. <laughs> Were you and, holding a frisbee at the time? And got eviscerated, but guys try to dress the same way forever, so they want a variation of what they wore at their in their twenties forever but styles change so they're always seeking that out so it's like i think that everybody is just doing a variation of what they did in their 20s some people wearing the exact same thing they did in their 20s forever Mm -hmm. i mean like your average pittsburgh dude is wearing a hat and a steeler shirt or a penguin shirt or a band shirt and going to a bar and having beers and they're not thinking about what they're wearing they don't care that's true I wish I had pictures of some of the stuff I used to wear. Don't you, you still have all the shirts? Like you didn't no, throw away a lot some, of your stuff. I I do have a few. I have a, a Mumford Fizzed t-shirt. Which, oh, from Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah, which I bought in like 1985. I still have it. I have my Night Ranger t-shirt from yeah, 1985. Don't tell me you. You love should me. be rocking those, man. I would. I mean, that's come all the way back around. But some like I remember, I used to wear like a white tank top with a black mesh shirt over it, and like a black and white zebra bracelet. Oh, dude, yeah, you lived during yes. the golden age of eighties. Yeah, rock fashion. A lot, lot of mesh. A <laughs> lot of mesh. I know. And like every like slutty chick in the eighties looked like they like just got off a shift working at like Long John Silver's <laughs> yeah, or something. Yeah. Why are you calling Valentine's slut? And Long John. You're throwing me under the bus. Y'all look like you worked at like a seafood restaurant. You're coming out of the, you know. I had a pair of jams. I mean, oh, I had a jams pair of jams. Jams were awesome. Yeah. They were great. Yeah, I'm not saying you were a slut. I'm saying the fashion was <laughs> slut chic. It was. Every chick just like somebody Madonna like. It was Madonna based. It was, yeah, or like Motley Crue yeah. chick. Yeah, that was definitely a big mesh era. <laughs> She's been killing me this whole segment, dude. I've just been taking one hole after another. She is pushing me right in there. <laughs> calling me a slut? Damn it, I kind of did, didn't I? <laughs> you calling me a slut? <laughs> uh, if you're a whiskey lover and you have some time and probably a lot of money on your hands, you might want to take a trip to Scotland and travel the 115-mile <laughs> whiskey trail over there. The new Hebridean Whiskey Trail takes you through a bunch of Scotland's remarkable scenery and to some of its most stunning remote islands. You get cliffs, you get castles, and you can stop and visit all the distilleries along the way, some of which were built in the early 1800s. If you're afraid of spiders, you should either have a rolled-up newspaper handy or just hide between 6 and 9 p.m. and specifically at 7.35 p.m. That is the peak time when female spiders are making their webs, so the male spiders are on the prowl looking for some long-legged, eight-legged action. Uh, Call me a slut! (laughs) (laughs) Eight-legged slut! (laughs) No. (laughs) No? So every time you see a spider between 6 and 9 p.m. now, you'll think, eh, trying to have sex 
I'm just going to call Charlie That's, Batch. I'm going to smash these just for you. Thanks. <laughs> no, no. Get rid of those spiders. Uh, finally, thousands of people mourning the loss of the late Mac Miller at a vigil for the rapper here in Pittsburgh. Yesterday, it was held at Blue Slide Park, which Miller named uh, his 2011 debut album after. People are petitioning for the park to be renamed Mac Miller Blue Slide Park in his honor. Pittsburgh Mayor Bill Peduto says he's not opposed to it. However, there is a law that says a public asset cannot be renamed after a person until three years after their passing. Miller died at his Southern California home Friday from an apparent drug overdose. He was 26. Bill, you went to that. Yeah, I did. That and was that's your. Uh, you grew up with like a lot of the people in his circle, right? Oh yeah, there's a million connections. Um, my my best friend growing up, his two younger brothers used to have sleepovers with with Mac and his brother Miller, and uh, and yeah, I mean my my. Uh, my best friend in high school ended up being the VP of Rostrum Records, and there's just there, there's countless connections. And um, you know, we were leaving. Me, my brother, and my sister went, and we were walking out. And uh, my brother was like, "Man, here I thought we had the craziest party that was ever at Frick Park." It was like I've never seen it like that. There were thousands of people there. Yeah, there were people doing murals of of Mac, people playing his music, like up at the top of Blue Slide, which is not a really big area. They had DJs. Um, a DJ we grew up listening to, DJ Selecta, was was playing a lot of Mac's music. People were singing along. People were lighting candles. There were people like there were like really young kids there, all the way up to. 70 and 80 year olds like Max grandma was there last yeah I saw her on the news and it was just I mean I saw people that I haven't seen in 20 years you know and they were all just kind of saying like this is crazy like he was one of us you know even though we were 12 years older than him we were yeah. doing all the same stuff he was talking about and just how well, sad he's, it was. he's from the same mold oh yeah as you guys yeah he grew up right down the street and uh, it's just just sad. Just bums me out that he's not going to get to see the reception of of this album because this album is really really good. I listened to it yesterday. It is uh, it's really cool. I mean, mm-hmm. it. I, I, you know, I've never been like a huge Mac Miller fan or anything, but you were like, dude, you got to listen to it. And, and a f- bunch of other musicians in town have been like saying this is the point of departure for him. John Mayer wrote about how he, when he guessed it on the album, he knew right. this was going to be his year. That and this, oh, by this the way, tour, he's friends with John Mayer and just invited John Mayer over to like listen to some tracks. And then John ended up playing on a, on a song. Yeah. He's a huge, he was a huge star and a bigger influence than I would have ever given him credit for. Cause I just didn't know. And having listened to that album, I was really impressed with how musically mature it was. Yep. It was like he evolved. for a twenty-five-year-old kid. Like, oh wow, this God. is really good, man. From Blue Slide Park to to swimming, I mean, the evolution is incredible. The way he was using his voice, it was just really amazing. And I mean, his family wasn't there last night because they're all out in L.A. But I'm sure that they're going to see because there were there was people there filming a documentary uh, last night, and I mean, they had streets shut up, shut down. Like we parked at Alderdice. And walked, uh, you know, a couple blocks to the park, and it was there was food trucks. I j- I've never seen that park like that, and that was just so cool that they brought it back. Yeah, and did that. So yeah, that was that was a, a really special night. On the way for you, Mike Pursuta recaps yesterday's press conference with Coach Tomlin. 
We'll talk with Frank Caliendo in the nine o'clock hour. Gruden's return not so uh, not so great. Oh man. Also, Mark Madden in the nine o'clock hour, and uh, we've got Ashley Murray from the PG, the new crime podcast they're launching. People love crime podcasts, Val. I feel like this would be like in your future. Oh, this yeah. would be a thing for you. Oh, that I would do one. Yes. You would jam on a crime podcast. I would totally love to do that. Yeah. I watch all those true crime stories. What's the best one right now? Right now? Well, I don't, I just mean in series in general. Ameri- like a, a Net- American Justice used to be a really good one. Okay. What do you mean on Netflix? I mean on like Netflix or something like that. Is there any of the true crime or stuff? true crime one? I got done with The Staircase and I thought it was unnecessarily long. Yeah, I lost interest in that one about halfway through. I think I watched the first four episodes. And I haven't gone back to it. I basically thought in the first two, three minutes of episode one, well, he's guilty. Now what? Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, I got to watch 13 hours of this? Made way too much trial stuff in that. Evil genius. Dude. Evil genius. The gold standard. I might have to watch it again. It's so good. That's probably the footage. I just like to point out that my hometown in James Conner's hometown of Erie, PA, is not all crack whores and hoarders. (laughs) Calling me a slut. (laughs) DVE Sports. Mike, pursued with your sports right now on the DVE Morning Show. Sports is brought to you by Hubbis Auto and Truck Supply. You know, Mike Tomlin's not usually one to cry about calls after the fact. He's usually pretty accepting of what the officials do from week to week. The calls are the calls. You have to live with them. You can challenge some of them, but uh, inevitably you have to deal with what they decide you have to deal with. Uh, yesterday, in an exception on the south side, uh, Mike Tomlin's still apparently a little honked off that that fourth quarter punt, which, by the way, preceded what became the James Conner fumble that turned the game around and helped a 21-7 lead degenerate into a 21-21 tie. Mike Tomlin remains convinced that uh, the Steelers should have gotten the ball. Uh, They punt the ball to the Browns and did it or did it not bounce off the helmet of Nick Chubb before Sean Davis went up and secured it. Should the Steelers have maintained possession at that point? If they had, then the Browns wouldn't have punted the Steelers the ball back and Connor wouldn't have fumbled it perhaps and maybe things would have been different. Uh, Mike Tomlin emphasized two things about the play yesterday. He never got an explanation, and he doesn't want one. I'm not asking for explanations, you know. Um, The way that I look at it is it's an opportunity for us to grow because sometimes things happen in football that are outside your control, and sometimes you feel like you've been wronged. All of us saw the ball hit that guy. Um, Their returner, (laughs) Peppers, saw the ball hit that guy because why else would a returner insert himself into that scrum trying to recover the ball unless he was sure the ball hit the guy? Um, So that's the approach that we're taking as we move forward. Once a decision is made, there's nothing else that you can do about it, man. you got to move on. You'll miss the next opportunity to win the game in some way if you spend time crying over spilt milk. Uh, We had other opportunities to secure that game after that. So that's where our focus is in terms of using that as a teachable moment. Uh, Why that play was not corrected, um, I have no idea. Uh, Ask New York. Uh, They felt comfortable talking about the hit on Ben uh, was inappropriately officiated. I'd be interested to see their comments regarding that play. Uh, I haven't taken time to ask because I'm busy preparing for Kansas City. He uh, he went at New York a couple times yesterday. Makes me wonder if uh, he might New not York be might get back at him tiptoeing 
right up to the line on that one. I wonder. Uh, he seemed a little honked off about it. A couple things about that. Uh, Peppers wasn't the return guy. It was Antonio Callaway. So he got that wrong. I'm not convinced it hit Nick Chubb. He said we all saw it. I I remain unconvinced. I'm convinced. Uh, another it hit guy, him. Another guy who remains unconvinced, uh, our Tuesday guest here on the DVE Morning Show, the uh, star of Zebra Talk, Gene Sterator, the former NFL referee who was working that game for CBS. Here's what he told us yesterday about appearance versus actual reality. I think with those plays, they're really difficult in replay uh, to overturn. And, and at times, I'll be really frank with you, they're tough on the field uh, because it is subtle. And, and if it did happen, it wasn't just overly egregious. The ball didn't change direction, you know, really severely. And I think what happened with that play is as the ball was going end over end, back upward toward the head uh, in that reaction, you just have to remember that the rules in replay have to see something completely conclusive to overturn that and on the field they did rule that it did not touch him which has been first element you know you always remember when we go to replay hey guys what did they rule on the field and then we work back from that right mm-hmm. we've got a you know the ruling on the field is it didn't touch okay show me something not just clearly not just appear i have to see it you know we have to have that shot my problem with that is that under that rationale referees too often will make the conservative call because they know they can fall back on the replay. And the replay is contingent on the call on the field. Yeah, it's not. And this is a problem they were having last year was Al Riveron was starting to adjudicate off the replay. He's not supposed to do that. He's supposed to give thumbs up or thumbs down on the call. You know what I'm saying? They're they got to get the call right. They're not supposed to go to replay <laughs> and say, all right, let's figure out what the hell happened here. Right. The call's got to be right initially. It's a great point by you. These guys are less aggressive, I think. Yes, they always make the conservative call. They should be just doing it as if there wasn't replay. And if there if, wasn't replay, I'd bet you a dollar to donuts that that one goes to the Steelers. Yeah. I, because I, and it was I close, if, and the guy has a little apprehension, he goes, ah, I'll save it for the for the tape. Well, they got to make some call. Right, called, which is no call there. He called, no, he said it didn't touch him Brown's ball. But if they would have said Steelers ball, by that same rationale, they wouldn't have overturned it because you I, couldn't clearly see it didn't touch him. Yeah, it's probably a good point. And that's uh, that's maybe a... Which is why they the have to get the call right the on the field. <laughs> it was interesting. During the game, everybody was convinced right away the Steelers were going to get the ball on the broadcast. And then as they're watching the replays, Greg Gumbel says, do you really see something definitive there? And initially, Bruce Arians and Trent Green both say, I do, I do. And then they're watching it more. And Gene Steratore, when they brought him in during the broadcast, said, quote, at no time can we definitively say that football has hit the player's head. And then Trent Green said, well, you kind of got a point, but it sure looks like it, doesn't it? And that's when Steratore said, quote, it appears, but it is a, but is it 100% conclusive? Not from that angle. The football really doesn't change drastically in its direction. Total BS. No, I, I, I guess you see what you see. I, no, I understand I, that rationale. What I I'm saying not, is total BS is, the, is that these guys rely on that now. Well, you know, the other alternative would be just to get rid of replay and live with some bad calls. I'm 100% okay with I'm that. I would have no problem with that. Games would move a lot quicker. Do, do it like they used to. Referees call what they see, and then everybody deals with it, and you move on. Yeah, and then maybe uh, at the end of the game, 
uh, they ask a ref why he got it wrong, and he says, "That's how I saw it." You know, yeah, I got no, I got no uh, blood in this human element that yeah. makes it more intriguing, right? No dog in a fight for me. Yeah. I just, uh, sorry if I screwed it up. That's what it looked like to me at the time. All right, human error. Let's move forward. Used to be fine with that, but uh, I don't know, man. We didn't that used to be, be fine with it, but you know, well, we also didn't used to have the technology available to television to get these looks that we get now, and that's I think why they brought it in in the first place is you don't want to have the guy in his living room seeing clearly what happened when the guy on the field did not. When we come back, Merrill Hodge joining us on the DVE. Randy Bauman and the DVE Morning Show joining us right now. The one and only Merrill Hodge, ladies and gentlemen. Merrill! Good morning, Merrill. What's going on? Wow. Stop it. It gets louder every time. I love it. Yeah, buddy. Well, you know, it's we want to create the recreate the stadium atmosphere for you because we know you always did your best work on the field. Under pressure, yes. Under pressure. Absolutely. Uh, uh, under pressure. Browns are under a little pressure to, to get it done, and they nearly got a W in week one. Baby-stepping their way with towards With Todd Haley. Uh, what, do you, what did you make about how that all went down on Sunday? Did you see it as the Steelers uh, playing down, or have the Browns improved? No. Um, well, uh, or was the weather a little bit of an equalizer? A little bit of everything. Okay. Um, I'll be honest with you. Okay, now, this is not even a joke. I'm like... When they got the ball back with a 14-point lead, it was about seven minutes left in the game. I'm like, okay, this. I go, the only way, because this is all I care about. It's the only stat I care about, really, when it comes to football. It's the only one that really is a true indicator of the outcome of a game. I was like, the only way they'd lose this game, only possible is to shoot if they had turnovers. I go, it's raining a little bit. I mean, so I know the ball gets slick a little bit. And, man, I'm not, no more than I think that. I'm like, oh, my gosh. They, the fumble happened. Mm-hmm. I'm like the oh James Conner fumble. Like, yeah, I was like, oh, I go. This is the only way. Now they have six turnovers. Honestly, you probably should have got beat by 28. <laughs> if you have six turnovers, I mean, that is. I mean, in all fairness, that yeah, that's really how much you should have gotten beat. So you know, are the Browns a little better? Yeah, I, I think. You know, I don't think offensively they're much of a threat at all. You know, their running game. Um, I think we'll be good eventually. I just, I, I've just never been impressed with with number five. I just in Buffalo, I wasn't. I uh, not a Tarod fan. Nah, I just, I just don't. I don't see. He doesn't make. You know, everybody talks about he doesn't turn the ball over, which is very true. And listen, that kept them in this game. But as long as you get six turnovers, you, you're going to have a shot, you know, to beat teams. <laughs> but. Um, he just he misses so many things and leaves so much on the table because out on the field when when you go back and look at the tape is what I'm saying you go back and go wow play after play he just misses you know that you can't miss that you got to take advantage of you know so um, you know I don't think they'll be a dominant offense whatsoever um, I think the running game will be good their defense is a little better but those six turnovers it should have been a blowout the other way. Merrill, do you so, think? I know it's when you tie. When you tie, I mean, in that in this scenario, it's a, it's a loss for Pittsburgh. It's a win for Cleveland because just because of their records and where they've been to this point in the last decade. Do you think the next time that the Steelers play the Browns, we're going to see Baker Mayfield? And, and what do you think of him? Because I know you were pretty critical of uh, Johnny Manziel, and a lot of people think this is Johnny Football 2.0, but, but from what we saw well, in Hard Knocks, he looks like a lot better of yeah. a football player. It ain't nothing like Johnny Manziel. You know, I don't know where people – I think people got that um, because of the off-field thing that he did. 
You know, you had, to, you had a knucklehead move as a quarterback and a player. He if he played in the Pacific Northwest, nobody would say anything. It was because of where he played in that off the field yeah. incident. I think there was a that off the field. Yeah, I think there was some, there were some other resemblances. He did some on the field incidents right. too. On the field right. incidences, yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, very true. All doing of that, the suck you it. Know, um, yeah, mm-hmm. that that um, that you know, the, I think the Ohio State game too. You know, he uh, he put the flag, whatever he did. Uh, but when you watched him as a quarterback, actually, when I studied him, I was like, wow. I was not expecting it. Here's what I wasn't expecting. I thought he was probably one of the most decisive and most accurate. And I will tell you this. That's something that their starter isn't, which I do agree that we see Baker Mayfield eventually. He just throws the ball with more anticipation. He's accurate, and he throws it on time. And I'm, I was like, the more I watched him, I was like, wow. Now, I would never have done what Cleveland did. I would never. I would have got the runner because that guy comes around once every 20 years. Would never have passed on that because you would have had a quarterback that – was either Baker Mayfield, which probably is, so you still get him, um, or you get you know one of the other guys, which weren't bad either. There were some good, you know, they, they wasn't just like some. The kid in Buffalo, I didn't really particularly care for because everybody got enamored in his arm, his ability to throw at eighty yards. And if you remember Jamarcus Russell, <laughs> not that this kid, not that this kid is like that, because Jamarcus Russell, when I talk about like was not a smart player. Um, he was playing the New York Giants. He's in the shotgun, and he took a seven-step drop. Okay, now, <laughs> I've never seen it. Listen, if you all you had to do is watch the right tackle. The right tackle is blocking. The defensive end runs upfield, you know, goes in an area. He's like, well, just go. He doesn't even block him. He quits blocking him. Well, he sacks Jamarcus Russell. Well, he turns around and puts his hands on his hips like, like, what are you doing 15, 16 yards deep? You know, I was like, what are you doing back there? Because – Kid took a seven-step drop. I mean, he didn't. He didn't even try to be. Uh, you know, uh, he didn't even try to apply the the IQ that it takes to play football. But he could throw it all over the park, and people got enamored in that. You know, they got they were. In fact, I know meetings that he had before the draft, and they were asked what they ran um, at LSU. Or was it LSU that he came from? I think. Yeah. Um, and he said, "He goes, oh, coach, um, I don't know. He goes, I just do it to the open guy. Okay, now." If that's your response right there, okay, a red flag. He couldn't even draw their offense up. I was like, wow. But coaches are all like, this is where your ego gets involved. They're like, oh, you know what, we'll make him smart. He's not very smart, but I'll make him smart. That's just like saying, no, he's not very fast, but I'll make him fast. And now you're not going to do that. But, you know, I think we do see Baker. I just think he will, he will make more plays in the structure of the offense, which is that, that's what Johnny Manziel's biggest problem was. He had no clue what he was doing. And Mayfield can run, too, right? I mean, one of the reasons yeah, the Browns not. are playing Taylor is escapability, but that should be uh, within Mayfield's wheelhouse, should it not? Yeah, but he makes plays, you know. Now, he's not going to run. I don't think he's as good as a runner. Um, he's either one of the guys. He, Johnny Manziel was very good at running, making people miss. But that's not how you win in this league, or really, it's not how you win in this in the NFL. I mean, having that uh, as part of your arsenal and you go to it is great. But, man, I'm going to tell you this, and, and really, as you watch people play from the pocket, the guy who can play when the pocket is clean, not even when it kind of breaks down, when, when you play with the instruction, when that ball comes out, uh, honestly, what makes Tom Brady so great, he executes the play. Now, that may sound dumb. 
and that may sound very vanilla and simple, but I can't tell you how many times you watch a guy and you're like, well, why doesn't he just throw it to the flat? He's open. It's where it should go. And it's first and 10. But no, what do they decide to do? No, I'm going to, I'm going to see if I'm going to make a bigger play. I'm going to try to throw it down the field. And then all of a sudden you're second and 10. You know, and that happens time and time again. You're like, give it to the curl. Give it to the flat. It's okay. Tom Brady will throw 10 flats in a row if you make him throw it. That's what, I mean, one of the things that makes him so great is that he will just execute the play the way it was was meant to be designed all the time. Very seldom do you see him make a mistake from that perspective. James Conner's performance in week one, team said they were expecting that. Fans were holding their breath that he'd be able to do it. How much did the fumble detract from what he was able to do? Unfortunately, I'm going to tell you that's a killer. I, I just, just because you just can't do that. You know, it is devastating. Um, so it does put a big damper on it. But what you obviously, he did so many good things. And I thought in preseason, gosh dang, I don't know if he's lost weight, but he just looks sleek. He, he has, Merrill. Quicker. Yeah, I mean, he just looks better. He's dynamic. He was decisive. I mean, he made people miss. Um, uh, I just, everything about it was great. Um, that fumble, though, did, did put a big damper on it. That's the one thing you talk about. Now, um, you know, uh, Villanueva, I don't know what he was doing on that play. Because uh, he looked like Villanueva actually got him in trouble. He karate chopped. He looked, I don't know what he was doing on that. It was, the way the run was designed, that's not, he didn't block like that the entire game doing that. So I don't know if he was thinking it was a draw or some other type of a, a run, but... We always say penetration is the number one killer in the running game, and that is exactly why you define the runner's read and you can put him in a position where they can fumble. Now, even though he had the ball in a good position, um, um, he got his hands right on the ball, you know, and the hard thing about that is listen, you don't ever want to fumble. It's an awful thing, especially back up. But if you notice, that's what I say all the time, that people become, instead of being a ball carrier like he was the entire game, um, I mean, a runner, he became a ball carrier. Like, two hands go on the ball, and then you're like, I'm not going to fumble, and that's all you think about for a while before you can get back to your running instincts. So uh, um, it took him a while to get out of that. But, uh, so listen, as far as his overall game, you take that fumble out, I view it as impressive a back as there was in, in football on Sunday. Merrill Hodge, always a pleasure to talk with you, man. Appreciate your time this morning. Sounds like Johnny Manziel's barking at your heels right now. Mm-hmm. I got two Frenchies, and I got one that she is a bully, okay, and the other one is Bronson, and he is he gets she's always got she always has a here's the problem she has her butt in his face <laughs> for whatever reason that's problem I mean, that's disrespectful I know, like, and so exactly so he's just barking like get your butt out of my face and I'm like I don't. <laughs> I don't understand it. I'm like, dude, just quit being rude. Yeah. That's the rudest dog I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, That must She's be a, a female dog. thing. My female dog does that to our, our male dog, too. And my boss is just like, get your butt out of my face. <laughs> so I'm, to, I'm, I'm like, Blue, please, just please, don't put your butt in your face. Can I, I, I ask that favor of you? Val does that to Bill morning. all the time. It's really <laughs> becoming a problem. Here. Hey, Merrill, thanks, so, buddy. Appreciate your time this morning, man. I know, but we, we did learn this. Keep your butt out of people's face. There you go. Have a great day. Well, hopefully the, the Steelers won't uh, get butt faced this Sunday against the chi- the Chiefs. We got to get a W here. It's gonna be a tough one, man. Merrill, thanks, Amen. buddy. Appreciate it. See you. Like I remember, I used to wear like a white tank top with a black mesh shirt over it.
and like a black and white zebra bracelet. Oh, dude. Yeah, you lived during yes. the golden age of 80s yeah. rock fashion. A lot, lot of mesh. A <laughs> lot of mesh. I know. Hey, like every like slutty chick in the 80s looked like they like just got off a shift working at like Long John Silver's <laughs> yeah, or something. Yeah, why are you calling Valid Slut? And Long John Silver's you're throwing me <laughs> under the bus. Y'all look like you worked at like a seafood restaurant. <laughs> you're coming out of the, you know. Yeah, that was definitely a big mesh era. <laughs> She's been killing me this whole segment, dude. I've just been taking one hole after another. She is pushing me right in there. <laughs> calling me a slut? Damn it, I kind of did, didn't I? <laughs> calling me a slut? Randy Bellman and the DDE Morning Show. I didn't call you a slut. I was saying you dressed like a slut at one time because it was slut chic. Don't and try to throw her line. under the bang bus, dude. <laughs> it's not right. I know you too well to ever call you that. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever have gloves? Oh, Cut off um, gloves? I want to say yes, but I'm not 100% sure. You definitely they were definitely did. not lace. L- right. They yeah. were not lace. Did they gloves. go up your forearm? I, d- I never wore lace. They didn't go up your forearm? No. No, because those are I was not... those are slut mittens. <laughs> yeah, I, know, I I don't think I ever had anything lace. Slittens. What about um, like a bunch of bangle bracelets? Uh, I had the rubber brace, the rubber bangle bracelets. Yeah, I had those, but they were all black. I, I didn't have any that were like neon colors. Did which you was ever also wear like the mid, a mid choker? 80s. Yes. Did you ever fall in the water with while you were wearing one of those outfits and come out with a bunch of fish? <laughs> I don't know. Because it looked means. like everybody's just wearing one big fisherman's net cut up into a bunch no. of <laughs> different clothing configurations. Yeah. What about no. boots? Boots. I definitely had dingo boots. Dingo boots. Oh, dingo boots were huge in the 80s. A dingo kicked my baby. <laughs> It didn't kick the baby. If that's all I, I know, thought, it wouldn't be that know, big of a deal. I didn't think a, a boot could eat a baby. And so then I, I also it. had like knee-high <laughs> boots with fringe on them. That was early 90s. Slot. That that sounds like you were a, re- a professional wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> you were one of the gorgeous ladies of wrestling? <laughs> What do you got going on over there? Here's the Channel 11 Severe Weather Center forecast brought to us by Dormont Appliance. 11. It's 62 degrees now at DVE. I'm Val Porter. The Beaver Falls Salvation Army is now accepting applications for families who need help this holiday season. The organization looking for those who could benefit from their Bundle Up program as well as Christmas assistance. Applications do need to be in by September 20th at their 400 block Uh, Their location in the 400 block of 16th Street in Beaver Falls. The porn star who says she had an affair with President Trump is about to make a big announcement. Stormy Daniels and her attorney, Michael Avenatti, will appear on ABC's talk show, The View. This comes just a few days after Trump's lawyer said in a court filing the president doesn't believe a hush money agreement Daniels signed is valid. Longtime Trump lawyer Michael Cohen said Daniels $130,000 or paid Daniels rather $130,000 shortly before the election to keep quiet about that alleged sexual encounter with Trump back in 2006. 
Trump says it never happened. What do you think? Is he still uh, saying that? I I don't know. I thought they had he changed. Hasn't said much of anything publicly. I mean, right. officially. I yeah I I don't know. I'm out of. My forecast for that interview is tremendously big and wet. <laughs> That's like tremendously <laughs> w- big and tremendously wet. Incredibly big and amazingly wet. He's got a lot of words, just not a lot of adjectives. <laughs> Maybe she's going to run for office. Stormy? Oh, God. Yeah. Please, no. Well, there have he, been he less scrupulous he's people. thinking about it. Avenatti. Like, who is this oh, guy? Yeah, he wants to, yeah. He's on everything now. I know. Watching that on The View would be... That's just torture. Daytime the television view in is, general is torture. Day, all daytime television is. I think it's just all terrible. Yeah, just horrible. That's why I watched. Did you ever see the chew? Lo- yes. That is an affront to everything that <laughs> we should stand for. Was that the one with Mario? But ba- uh, yes, Batali? it was not on it anymore. Yeah. No, of course not. He got me chewed. <laughs> <laughs> he wore cargo shorts. <laughs> With and Crocs. Yeah. <laughs> and a Patagonia vest. <laughs> so uh, we'll find out. I guess that airs at 11 o'clock a.m. A new study says protection from the flu vaccine starts to fade after just a few weeks. Researchers with Kaiser Permanente Northern California found the risk of coming down with the flu goes up about 16% every 28 days after you get the flu shot. So that what? means if you get a flu huh? shot at the beginning of September, you're going to be less protected when the height of the flu season hits. Perfect timing. <laughs> That's how I like to do it. <laughs> I want to be my most weakest. The CDC recommends getting a flu shot by the end of October. That's your your best protection. I know you don't get them. I get them every year. They want you to get them if you're doing anything like a hospital or anything like that. Do you get them at Rite Aid? I or do. Or do you go to your... You no. can get them at Giant Eagle. I go to Rite Aid. I go in, I buy a belt, and then I go back. Some glasses. And I get some glasses. That's right. Some I peanut buy, M&Ms. I always try to buy as many clothes as possible at Rite Aid. A couple stuffed animals. Any accessories that you can get there. And then some you go preparation back. Some sampler. And you get a shot. And it's awesome. Because it's just right there, and it's like it's so amazing to me that they're actually injecting something into you, into you right in that store. Yeah, it's hilarious to me. Like well, that well, shouldn't your be happening. <laughs> and it's always like the pharmacy is right next to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's always some old person there sitting in that uh, that machine that takes your blood pressure. It's just a pinch. It's not like that big of a deal. Yeah. But I. I understand people have concerns with it but i don't know every doctor i talk to is like get it get it get it worst case scenario it shortens the duration of the flu mm-hmm. i always get mine done at chick-fil-a how's that go great it's really good can't get it on sunday though Mm-mm. sticking can with you biggie that- size it and get a polio vaccine or something <laughs> i don't think you need one of those anymore do you i don't know no, yeah i think we did a good job of getting rid of that <laughs> although it'll probably come back shingles. like everything old. everything old is new again. yeah exactly you get the shingles vaccine let me tell you something and is pneumonia is that one you can get i don't know can vaccine? you get a pneumonia vaccine i don't know can you get the shingles vaccine if you already had chicken pox don't know hey friend tear bad job <laughs> it's already inside you What's- i hate the, the Steelers coach <laughs> and chicken pox what's the vaccine that used to get like my mom and dad both have the like thing bottle on your cap arm? sized dents yeah. in their arms yeah my dad something. has that too what is that? Was I that, forget what that... I don't that have polio? one. No, I think they were all in a gang. <laughs> yeah, I forget what that is, but 
That was, I think that went out of style like in the mid to late 60s. That's when parents used to, instead of spanking, hit their kids in the shoulder with a meat tenderizer. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, that's what happened. Did they, they still do spike mallet. measles, mumps, rubella vaccine? No, they do. That was uh, a big one. No, they say do. That's the worst law firm ever. <laughs> <laughs> Is there the a vaccine for Shenderovich, Shenderovich and Fishman or do you just have to take it? What you just have to lot? endure it. <laughs> Do you get a tetanus shot? No. Well, yeah, I don't. No. I I mean, I, you, you get no. one like when you need one every right. 10 years or something like that. But should you get it every 10 years or just I like haven't been impaled. step on a rusty nail? Yeah, nothing. Uh, no, uh, no impaling has been I, going I on. I know you have to get certain shots whenever you travel like overseas, yeah. like when you go internationally and then you have to. Do they have to check you when you get back? Like, hold on, what'd you bring back? Uh, Ebola. You got the West Nile? No, I don't. I don't think they do that. No, they don't. I and, just made that uh, up in my head. Well, no, I don't think so they I check. Mean, no. no, I. I'll buy it. You do have to get shots before you go to some places, but I'm not sure what the process is when you come back. They don't quarantine you to make sure you don't. You don't spread anything. Right. But speaking of that, now the school's back in session. Kids are going to be bringing home unwanted things. Like yeah. bugs, injuries. So, what's the worst thing your kid could come home with? We'll start with number Polio. ten. <laughs> Broken glasses is number ten on the list. Well, just because you know, those are expensive. Yeah. yeah. Well, I just would be more concerned of how they got broken. Right. Which is like a somebody sock Smack on in the face. Yeah. Pink eye. Oh. <laughs> Oh, yeah. That's the worst. What's the old... Uh, fart on a pillow? Yeah. <laughs> Never fart on a pillow. The flu. No. An, an allergic reaction, which, I mean, in some cases, that's deadly. Yeah. It's not like, you know, you got a, a couple of hives or something. Uh, strep throat, which um, I used to get that every year. Terrible. A broken or sprained finger. Chicken pox. Now, this is one I would have put number one on the list. It's number three, lice. Yes. That always... Because there's a stigma with it. There's no stigma with strep throat. When you found out somebody... Yeah, like you're some kind of dirt ball or something. Right. My kids had lice a couple times. Everybody's kids get lice. And you have to just... You have to wash everything. Like, you got to strip their beds down. You got to take the pillowcases off. Their stuffed animals have to be put in a bag and put somewhere for like a week. And I don't know how it works, but I would guess that as a parent, that if your kid gets lice, your kid's not a dirtball. Whoever gave your kid lice, that kid's a dirtball. That kid's ball. a dirtball. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me who you were hanging out exactly. with. You're not allowed to hang out with that dirtball anymore. <laughs> Number Boys, two. Boys, you could just shave their head. Right. Yeah. You have to get the rid. Is that is that the shampoo that they use for lice? I don't know. Yeah, we there's a place right over here on Green Tree Road. I can't remember the name of Ace it that Hardware. we went to. Yeah, they do a great job. Yeah. And they give us a flu shot. That's good. I get mine at Ace Hardware, too. A broken heart is number two on oh, the suck list. Suck it up, kid. Sorry. <laughs> Welcome you, to the first of the many. What's wrong with you? My kid's a dirt ball. Number one on the list is a broken or sprained arm or leg. Forecast today, clouds, sun, rain, thunder, yeah, well, a little of everything. Mid-70s, it's 63 at DVE. Each week we take Mike Tomlin's press conference and we put it through the Tomlin translator. It tells you what Coach Tomlin really meant. It parses through the words to get to the actual meaning. 
And uh, so yesterday, of course, had the coach talking about uh, first, he was asked about T.J. Watt and Bud Dupree and switching them up and what effect that had. Coach, switching T.J. and Bud, obviously T.J. had the great game. How did Bud do at his new outside position? I thought Bud had a similar performance in that he was productive. The switch revealed itself in his skill set. Uh, we'll continue to work. Okay, put that through the translator. Bud Dupree rushed so far past the quarterback he sacked the mascot. Okay, well, that's yeah, a little further than he probably wanted to. Uh, he was asked uh, to, to rank players and who was good or who was extraordinarily good. Mike, you mentioned good and extraordinarily good performances. Who fell into the latter category of extraordinary? You know, I, I thought TJ, you know, was, was one of it. One of the... Um, Really good performances. I thought our I thought our coverage units, Tyler Matakovich in particular, um, was was really good. Um, you know, um, just to name a couple. Okay, put it to the translator. I cannot name more than a couple. We tied the friggin' Browns. <laughs> yeah. Uh, By the way, who's Medakovich? I, I don't know. It's a new guy. <laughs> Medakovich, Medakovich, and Fitchman. He revealed that uh, Ben had an injury we didn't know about. <laughs> ben, uh, is this something new with his elbow, or is this from <clears throat> similar to in past years? Just the bumps and bruises associated with play. That was the post-game, if you will. We'll see how he is tomorrow morning. Okay, put this through the translator. and He's blaming his crappy game on a fake injury. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with his elbow. <laughs> Wait a minute. That's unusually harsh. I can't believe that's what he meant to say. And then Coach was asked about uh, the defenseless receiver. I think Tim Benz asked him about, you know, how have you coached them to not uh, hit the defenseless receiver, to use the crown of their helmet, and how do you coach them against putting all their body weight on the quarterback when they sack him? In a very similar way. Um, the approach is no different. Um, none of us coach full body weight on the quarterback. None of us coach lowering the crown of our head to deliver a blow. So it's just identifying it as a point of emphasis, an element of play that we want minimized or removed from the game, mm -hmm. and the professionals do the rest. All right, through the translator. <laughs> Nobody wants to watch Nate Peterman versus Josh McCown, so you are not allowed to sack the NFL quarterback anymore, which is the only good thing about Bud Dupree's rushing technique. You cannot get a penalty for tackling the quarterback when you are 15 yards past him. All right, and then he... <laughs> <laughs> Vance McDonald, tight end. Who? Yeah, still hurt. He was asked about that. Did Vance McDonald suffer a setback last week? No. All right, through the tra translator. Vance McDonald had a farm. E I E I O. And on that farm, that dude can suck it. E I E I O. You think he's very upset with Vance McDonald? Sounds like. Probably get an injury. Mean, I would have never taken that, that from just the one word answer. No. Well, good thing we have the translator. This is what the, the translator's good for. He was asked about the weather. But when you look at penalties, um, do you take do you factor in much with the weather and whether they may have prevented a turnover or things like that, or do you just look at them straight as that was a, a, a negative play against you? I just look at penalties relative to our opponent. Through the translator. We should be able to rack up 1,300 yards in penalties and still whip the Browns' ass. <laughs> Hugh Jackson is their coach, for God's sake. Yeah, okay, and then uh, he was asked again about Ben's elbow. Is there any reason to suspect that Ben's elbow problem affected ball security or his ability to throw the ball? No. All right, through the translator. Stan, 
There is nothing wrong with Ben's elbow. Uh, then, uh, Stan. <laughs> he was asked about the, the review on the punt and uh, subsequent non-fumble recovery. Do you ever get an explanation why pretty much everybody thought or saw the ball hit off the Browns playoff chub that you guys would have recovered off that punt, and, except for the replay officials and the guys? Uh, why that play was not corrected, um, I have no idea. Uh, ask New York. Uh, they felt comfortable talking about the hit on Ben uh, was inappropriately officiated. I'd be interested to see their comments regarding that play. Uh, I haven't taken time to ask because I'm busy preparing for Kansas City. I'm going to get fined for this, so I better shut the <laughs> up. <laughs> he was asked about uh, if he's talked with Le'Veon. Have you had any recent correspondence with Le'Veon? I have not, no. Translator. Is calling him a mother under my breath every time I hear his name count as correspondence? (laughs) If so, then yes. I've been corresponding the hell out of him. (laughs) He was asked about James Conner's fumble. How much do you assess, or how much does it affect your assessment of his performance given what he did when he has a fumble? How much does that detract from it, if at all? You know, I'm not overanalyzing that play. It's a play you'd like to have back. It's a play he'd like to have back. Okay, let's let's do the translator here. James Conner's game was like if someone baked you a beautifully decorated cake and dropped it in a pile of horse manure. (laughs) I don't care how good it looked before that. Nobody wants to eat it anymore. (laughs) That's a good way to put it, I guess. Uh, Once again... He was asked about Ben's uh, elbow. When you do say Ben's uh, elbow is you know, bumps and bruises situation associated with football, does that indicate that he should be good for Sunday's game? Guys, I, I outlined it. You know, it may limit his participation at the early portions of the week, and we'll let that be our guide as we move forward. Okay, through the translator. And... Are you seriously asking me again? Do I have to hire a skywriter? There's nothing wrong with his elbow. It's not Beetlejuice. If you ask me three times, that ain't gonna make the injury real. Okay, so there you go. That's, uh... Boy, really parsing through the coach's words there. Some harsh assessments. Well, that thing's invaluable. Yeah, because you, otherwise, how would you God, know what he really meant? Really money well spent. You wouldn't. We got uh, Frank Caliendo coming up next hour along with Mark Madden and Mike Pursuta. Difference. DVE Sports. Mike Pursuta with your sports right now on the DVE Morning Show. Sans Translator. Sans translator, Mike Tomlin, the meeting the media again yesterday, mm-hmm. as he does on Tuesdays. And uh, Antonio Brown's behavior came up again. We're not talking about the spectacular touchdown catch Brown made in Sunday's 21-21 tie in Cleveland. We're talking about a tweet that Brown posted on Friday to Jesse Washington, who works for the Undefeated. Washington uh, posted a story last week uh, about Antonio Brown. And whether or not Antonio Brown, the the Antonio Brown that you see in front of the camera and during the game is really the Antonio Brown behind the scenes. Right. Uh, people can read that story and uh, draw whatever conclusions they like. I don't want to give you my opinion because it might cloud yours. But uh, I don't think A.B. liked that story. It's an interesting read. I don't think A.B. liked it either, Bill. Uh, he posted a tweet last Friday, 9-7-18 at 2.52 p.m., at Jesse Washington, and I quote, Wait till I see you, bro. We gone see what your jaw like. That's just a metaphor. 
Or he's going to break his jaw. I don't know. That's kind of what I surmise from it, that it's a threat a threat to uh, a journalist. Uh, Mike Tomlin asked That's in uh, vogue. what he thought yesterday about Antonio Brown making a threat to a journalist. Guys, don't ask me about social media things. You know, we, we could talk all day about things that are online or on the Internet or in social media. I just choose to stay away from it. Um, because it's a waste of my time. There's very little accountability. There's very little journalistic integrity, et cetera. Guys say things they don't mean. I talk to my teenagers about it all the time. Uh, let's keep it professional and in the and in the real. Um, I think that's appropriate in this setting. Well, you could say the same thing to AB. Yeah, it seems let's keep like it professional. It's uh, a bit of a cop out there because what's he, what is he going to say though? I mean, what what's he supposed to do? There is no explanation for what AB tweeted to that well, guy. One po- Can't he just say, "Yeah, that was a stupid thing to do." One possible uh, thing to do would be to discipline Antonio Brown, which he's apparently not interested in doing, based on that answer. Uh, Jalen Ramsey of the Jaguars threatened a reporter in August. Uh, there was a fight in a Jacksonville practice, which was during the part of practice that reporters right. are apparently allowed to film. And uh, Ramsey told reporters not to post it, and one guy posted it anyway. And uh, he got a tweet uh, that said, quote, You know you done messed up, right? LOL. If y'all want war, we got some for y'all. And I know the rest of y'all. You know who you are. Gone, read this too, so just know. So I think that that, that was perceived as a threat by Ramsey to the reporter by the organization. He was suspended for a week by the organization for quote violating team rules and conduct unbecoming of a Jaguars football player. Now I reached out to the NFL yesterday to see if threatening people on social media is a potentially uh, discipline worthy offense, and uh, I didn't get a response. Well, if that were the case. Our safety last year would have been suspended constantly. Wasn't he always in Twitter beast with people? And- for for a minute, and then I think he shut it down after one of them blew up because he DM'd somebody, didn't he? Like calling them a bitch or something. Yeah. I forget what it was, but basically that person screenshotted it and sent it out, and then he was off of social media for the rest of the year. I would love it if Mike Tomlin were to say something like, yeah, that's wrong, and I talked to A.B. about it, and you know he'll apologize to the guy. The that rea- would seemingly be a reasonable response. Yeah, I would love that, but I know that will never happen in a million years, and he's not going to sell out A.B., particularly at a time when there's no levy on Bell. And, you know, I This is the kind of stuff that gets Coach a lot of criticism from people saying that he doesn't keep these guys under wraps. Antonio Brown is also But I also don't think he perceives it to be a threat in any way, shape, or form. I don't think Mike Tomlin thinks that that this is serious. He thinks it's a guy on social media being social media worthy. And if he did think that, I think he would act. But that's not what this is, and it's not what he perceives it to be, so he's treating it for what he thinks it is. But the perception from the Tomlin haters out there is that this is the kind of stuff that is keeping the Steelers from being a champion. Yeah, we are seeing a pattern of behavior from Antonio Brown, who in August called Ed Bouchette a clown on Twitter and accused him of making stuff up, and then he called him a, a much worse name to his face in public. Uh, now in September, he is uh, seemingly threatening a guy. wonder what he's going to do in October. Run for president? College football news, uh, West Virginia's game at North Carolina State on Saturday has been postponed. 
uh, because of Hurricane Florence. Uh, same goes for East Carolina at uh, Virginia Tech and uh, Central Florida at North Carolina. Robert Morris was scheduled to play at James Madison on Saturday. They've moved that game to tomorrow hmm. because of the hurricane. This thing is going to be crazy. The hurricane, you mean? Yeah. Not the game. Right. I don't, care I don't about know. the game at all. Robert Morris and James Madison, those are two founding fathers having at it. <laughs> Actually, Madison was, Madison was a little later, right? Not, well, he was the economy guy, right? Or the was that his, his wife made the the cakes to bake the cakes? Yeah, I don't know. She I don't fueled the continental yeah, he was, army. He was a little bit further down the line, I think. Pirates lost to the Cardinals, eleven to five, to back to two under five hundred. Uh, one more in St. Louis this afternoon. Jameson Tyone against uh, one of the great names in Major League Baseball, Daniel Ponce de Leon. Did you see uh, Sports Illustrated assessing the Chris Archer trade as one of the worst of the year in Major League Baseball? Yeah, it's probably a good time to assess it month or so after it happened. Right on top of that. Yeah, so you're thinking... Uh, I guess Pat Mahomes was one of the worst uh, quarterbacks, and now he's one of the best. Well, that was Sporting News had him as one of the worst oh, starting was, quarterbacks. Oh, that was Sporting News, not Sports Illustrated? No, yeah, it was Sporting oh, okay. News. I, I was looking it up yesterday, worst starting quarterbacks in the league, because I was looking for a reference for the Nate Peterman, Josh McCown uh, joke that we had. But they had Pat Mahomes at second worst. Because he hadn't, because he hadn't done anything yet. Meanwhile, the guy's phenomenal, I, and I think and I, I need to rein it in. It's I don't one, think he's a world beater, right? It's one week, but the the combination of arm strength and ability to make different throws and ability to make different plays with his legs, the ball handling, the option stuff, the trickery that they do. Oh, he, he was just, dropping some dimes. Boy, in that does game he have a lot going for the Chargers? Him. And ben, he's got the you know his dad. We should say Patrick Mahomes. That's what he goes by. His dad, Pat Mahomes, was a former pitcher in the big leagues for about 12 years. Spent a little time with the Pirates. But he's got to have the same thing going as the Watts. You know, you have professional athlete in the family. That's got to help you transition quickly, right, even though it's baseball and football. Dealing with all the things that those people deal with that we don't, you know, the money, the stress. The... You know who's going to go off this Sunday? Number seven. He's going to have a huge game. Even with the injury? Huge. Which elbow is it? Is throwing arm or the non-throwing arm? Did they specify? Both. <laughs> Didn't specify. By the way, speaking of the injuries for the Steelers, uh, Joe Hayden hamstring hamstring has to be evaluated in practice. They don't know about him. That that, that is worrisome. Large. And then the Castro hand fracture, uh, Tyson Alu Alu shoulder, and Roethlisberger elbow. Those guys are all in a state of might be limited early, but I don't. I think they're all going to play. I know that uh, you know hand fractures can be, you know, somewhat insignificant. Um, do we know the extent of what this is for him? Is it his, you know, that right hand? Is it- I think it's his right. He came out of the game briefly, went back in the game. Um, so if he, if he went back in the game, he ought to be able to go into another game. You would think, right? Yeah, just a broken hand to contend with all year. It- Steelers, Chiefs, a one o'clock matchup this Sunday at Heinz Field. All the action starting four hours before kickoff here on your radio home of the Black and Gold 102.5 DVE. Val, you're going to be down at uh, Stage AE, right? Yeah, I'm going to be filling in for Bill this Sunday hosting the pregame tailgate. And the reason Bill won't be there, you're going to entertain the troops. That's right. 
I'm going over to the Middle East to do another USO tour. That's Can't wait for it. Awesome. Um, all right, so you'll be back when? Tuesday? I'm not sure because I get back late Monday. So oh, you won't be on the show Tuesday. All right, you'll, right. Be, in, you'll be back on I th- I'm hoping to be back on the show Wednesday. Good. All right, cool. Well, good for you, man. That's awesome. Is this your third one? Yeah, this is the third one. Incredible. It's great. It's so cool. It's Frank Callian. Frank Callian, our next hour. Mark Madden will be joining us as well. And uh, Michael Foco and Ashley Murray from the Post Gazette will join us when we return. The new true crime podcast, To Love and Perish, is out. They put together. This is a good one. I like the crime podcast. I'm not going to lie. These are good ones. And Who done it? And what did they do it with? And it's a murder you might remember. They'll be in the studio to tell you about that next year. But like Game Day Bar of the Week, Tom and Tuds in Aspenwall. Tom and Tuds. go to this place. 225 Bud Light, 20-ounce drafts during all Steeler games. Tom and Tuds in Aspenwall. Is butt. this uh, Tom and Tuds? Oh, sorry. We was looking for <laughs> Sullivan and Son. Member FDIC, carrier's message and data rates may apply. It's Randy Bauman and the DVE Morning Show. And uh, joining us right now from the Post-Gazette, it is Mike Foco and Ashley Murray. They are the the hosts of the newest crime podcast. I don't know. What do you call Why it? Crime cast? Like I don't know because the music <laughs> kind of feels like, you know, like. Ominous. True, yeah. true crime podcast. True crime podcast. Yeah. yeah. Now this has become, first of all, welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. This has become a genre that is taking off. Everybody I know is listening to these true crime podcasts or watching the documentaries on Netflix or uh, Amazon Prime or what have you. What do you guys think? This is the second one you've done about a Western Pennsylvania murder, correct? That's correct. The first one was uh, about the missing uh, two young missing men who ended up drowning in the uh, in the rivers. It was called Three Rivers, Two Mysteries. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the popularity has to do with. Um, I mean, it's actually a throwback to the radio serials of you yeah. know the 1920s and the 1930s. Right. I think it's just a different way to tell a story. And people engage with it because they can be driving their car, pushing their lawnmower, running. Um, it's not like a video that you have to pay attention. You know, you have to look at. Right. You can just listen and take it in by osmosis. And I think it's so baffling why a human would act uh, in a murderous way, or why something so bad happens to somebody yeah. so good. You know, it's just. There's just that mystery, and you just can't wrap your head around it. Do you think it's because everybody is wondering how far away they are from getting turned that one notch too many <laughs> well, to the dark side? Well, I, I think <laughs> we're, a, we're a mixture of the good, the bad, and the ugly, are we not? Yeah. And, um, Some mornings more than other here. Right. <laughs> All right, so To Love and Perish is the new one, season two of uh, the podcast True Crime uh, uh, series here, and you mentioned cereal. Uh, you know, uh, well, the old cereals. I mean, cereal was really probably the impetus for all of these, right? Absolutely, positively. Yeah, uh, it showed what could be done. Mm-hmm. And w- what's interesting about cereal is that they they didn't know what they had, and their ad rates were abysmal. And now, because of their success. Uh, ad rates are calculated on downloads. They had a flat ad rate and, you know, it went through the roof and they could have made a lot more money on that, but nobody knew that it was going to take off like it did. And that was a wake up call to everybody. You know, being in the media business, we're always looking for, 
different ways to tell stories, different platforms on which to do it. So, you know, we're in print and we're in digital and uh, we have two podcasts under our belt. Yeah. So, Ashley, uh, Mm -hmm. do you think that you have a burden uh, to bear in terms of being journalists doing this. So when I watched The Staircase, uh, someone said, well, you have to watch the original documentary because they completely skewed it to make it more entertaining Mm -hmm. and they left out a lot of pertinent facts that might have swayed you one way or another. Because you guys are journalists, do you feel that you have an imperative to reveal all the facts and maybe drag the narrative down a little bit and make it not as interesting? No, the the whole project, this project, the last podcast, uh, Three Rivers to Mysteries, this one to Love and to Perish, um, it's it's based on solid journalistic work. Um, the story is is just the story. We, we're not uh, doing just it. The facts. In, it's just the facts. We're not doing mm-hmm. it in any way to um, you know make it more exciting or okay. or something. Um, we have good voices like when you listen you'll hear the voices of people uh the neighbor who found the body um, talk about the crime that you guys are detailing here if you could well it's the um murder in 2006 of a beloved dentist from blairsville uh he was estranged from his wife uh the third main character in it is a is a state trooper who was his estranged wife's lover and uh it's a story of uh, marriage, love, manipulation, greed, like hatred. Cra- crazy crime of passion. Yes, it's a love triangle in a small town that ended up in a horrific homicide. Did you guys uncover any new facts? Because one thing that struck me when, whenever I was watching um, Evil Genius, the, the um, Netflix doc about the pizza bomber, they sort of uncovered things that hadn't been revealed before and sort of led to new conclusions of the case. Did you guys find anything new about this this particular murder? Well, we no, uh, no, we didn't. But I think what's new is the coverage that we're giving it. It's much more nuanced than the coverage in the past. You hear from a lot more people, everybody from Tom Corbett, who was the attorney general at the time and prosecuted it, uh, Cyril Wecht, I don't know if you heard of him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, How did you get him to agree to do something on microphone? Uh, <laughs> this guy, that guy, he's so media shy. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, Anthony Krastic, who prosecuted it, uh, a trooper who worked with this other trooper, and friends and neighbors and people, the guy who found the body. So you hear their voices. And, you know, we covered this case back in 2006, the Post-Gazette, and all the media did because it was a sensational case. But... I think in the podcast, you hear the voices of all these people, some on the periphery, uh, but really have something to say about it. And the fact that it's 12 years later and people in Blairsville are still talking about it and haunted by it, I think says something. So that's that's what we tapped into. So, I mean- It's it, really a fleshing out of the whole story. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a long form of what you're not able to do when you're writing articles in a paper. That's exactly yeah. right. And mm-hmm. with the pas- passage of time, uh, I think people look back on it with a different perspective and a different set of eyes. So that's that's what we're trying to reveal. So we don't we didn't uncover a smoking gun per se, but I think what we uncovered is an undercurrent of how this affected a community. 
Ashley, you and Michael come from two different schools of journalistic, mm-hmm. uh, not thought, but uh, approach, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, how does that play into the dynamic of this podcast? It's been really fun. Um, I was trained to audio edit 10 years ago. Uh Audio was my medium for a bit, and then I started to learn uh, video journalism and print journalism. Um, So I've been able to teach Mike about audio journalism um, and writing for the ear rather than for the eye. Mm -hmm. And then Mike, he's been a writer for, um, you know, more than three decades at the Post-Gazette. So when I'm writing something for the paper, I pass it to him to read (laughs) and get his feedback. Uh, So, you know, he teaches me a lot. Also, you know, teaching me about... Um, interviewing and and how to um, you know have build relationships with sources things like that. Right. Um, but yeah, it's it's been great. We have fun in the studios. Um, I'll be like Mike. I I don't think the sentence is good for people listening. They're going. It's too long. It's too long. Right. <laughs> and then we'll rewrite it. And it's it's a back and forth. And yeah, we have a good time. So how, okay, well go ahead, Valerie. How do you guys choose what murders to cover? Like. Because there are certainly many intriguing well, inter- murder stories to choose from. Right. Well, interestingly enough, we were looking for something and couldn't really find anything that captured our fancy. And I got an email from a man in Virginia who had just listened to Three Rivers, Two Mysteries. It was the uh, it was the second uh, podcast he listened to. The first one had been mentioned on your show. Uh, I'm not sure what that was, but this was the first true crime podcast he'd ever listened to. He really liked the way we did it. And he got in touch with us and said, would you be interested in doing a podcast on my friend who was murdered? And that's, that's how it happened. Oh, wow. mm. I wish I could take credit for coming up with the idea, but no, but, I, but we can take credit though because that guy yeah, wouldn't listen. You guys are welcome, and uh, so <laughs> to love you. and to perish. <laughs> uh, now, where can people uh, uh, access this, Ashley? Uh, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Um, it debuted uh, this morning. Oh, you can gosh. get it anywhere you get your podcasts, and uh, we have a. Post Gazette website devoted to it www.post-gazette.com slash love parish cool we'll link it at our uh, site as well at dbe.com Michael Fuoco and Ashley Murray from the Post Gazette the new true crime podcast to love and to perish best of luck thank, thank you. you so much thanks guys Hospital bathrooms with jet dryers can have five times as much bacteria than those that just use paper towels. Isn't it just kind of like killing a gnat with a sledgehammer, those things? Like, they didn't have to reinvent the wheel. Paper towels work great. Do they have the kind in the men's room that you stick your hand down in? Yes. The dryer? The Dyson blade. Yes, yeah. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Dyson blade that you walked through out of the shower? And it dried you that off. That might be painful. Maybe, for, yeah. That oh, yeah. Well, that's true. I hadn't thought, hadn't thought about that part of it. Bam! Yeah! <laughs> 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 you just walk out of there holding your stomach. Ow! I'm so dry. Andy Bellman and the DVE Morning Show. <laughs> just the whole. Just the, I'm the so image. dry. Oh, man. My just. undercarriage. Just Things got a blast of air. Just, they just, the oh, just, just a few smacking, just a few smacking sounds, <laughs> a lot of pain. Just trying to grab all the money you can as it's flying <laughs> up in that booth. <laughs> yeah, there's a game show host there when you get out of the shower. Here we go. 
Regis Philbin's waiting for you. Take your goggles off. Good Lord. I'm All ready right. for the day. Frank Caliendo is coming up uh, momentarily. Val's got uh, news for you now on DV. Here's a Channel 11 Severe Weather Center forecast brought to us by Bridgeville Appliance. 11. It's 64 degrees now at DVE. I'm Val Porter. We need to start the news this hour by mentioning longtime Pittsburgh radio personality Mike Pintech has passed away. He uh, worked at KDKA, had been there since 1982. He Man. had been uh, battling pancreatic cancer. He passes away at the age of 65. So a legend, uh, legend in Pittsburgh radio. No doubt, no doubt. And uh, condolences, sympathies extended to his friends and family and coworkers. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I never met Mike, didn't know him, but uh, no, heard me nothing but great things about him. Yep. I don't know if I will ever understand the 3D printers. A wildlife shelter in Arizona turned to technology to help out an alligator by hooking him up with a 3D printed prosthetic tail. The alligator was named Mr. Stubbs because he had his little stub. He spent the last five years at the shelter without a tail. It was hard for him because he couldn't get around in deep water. And everybody would tease him. Right. So workers at the shelter cranked out a new customized tail for him on a 3D printer. Mr. Stubbs is now getting around just like he used to on land and water. And Fantastic. The 3D printer helped him out. Now he can attack people and <laughs> right. bite them and pull them down to the bottom and do the roll. Right. The barrel roll. Good for him. Do you make your bed every morning? No. Try to. Because I read that one article that if you make your bed in the morning, the rest of your day will be good. All right. Well, according to a new survey, if you do make your bed every morning, you probably are a morning person. You have more sex and you listen to jazz. That's right. If you don't... At the same time. (laughs) You're most likely a night owl. You listen to rock music and you like Seinfeld reruns. That's very specific. Very narrow. The One Pole Sleepopolis survey also found those who make their beds tend to exercise regularly and eat a healthy diet. They also like to cook. Those who leave their beds unmade more likely to identify as introverts, more likely to snore and like funny movies. 42% (laughs) of those who make their beds said their significant other makes them more likely to do it. 33% said it would be a turnoff if a potential partner did not make their bed in the morning. And according to the survey, the traits of those who make their bed, morning person, yep, wakes up without an alarm clock, check, has sex three times a week. True. Very true. Yep. <laughs> Average nap is 43 minutes. At least. Most likely works in health or technology fields. More likely to enjoy jazz music, watch house hunters, and romantic movies. And personality traits of bed makers include being adventurous, confident, sociable, and high maintenance. Now, for people who don't make their bed, night person. Fart a lot. Snooze, uh, hits the snooze alarm before getting up. Slacker. Has sex twice a week. If that. The average nap is 50 minutes. Most likely works in business or finance. More likely to enjoy rock music, episodes of Seinfeld and comedy movies, and personality traits of those who don't make their bed. Shy, moody, curious, and sarcastic. So see if those apply. You really learned a lot there. I won't let you in, but if I do, I probably won't like it. (laughs) (laughs) So dumb. What a dumb study. 
I uh, I consider making my bed exercise. Does that count? <laughs> yes. That's a cardio, especially if you have a big, heavy blanket. As long as you're listening to Dizzy Gillespie while you're doing it. <laughs> have you seen the uh, the viral video of the guy air drumming to Rush? Yes. Yes. Well, the guys in Rush have given the thumbs up to that uh, video, which has been viewed five million times, by the way. Holy cow. That's a lot of time. Uh, member of the Baltimore Ravens marching band at the Ravens-Bills game on Sunday, uh, air drumming to Tom Sawyer. Rush's account retweeted the clip on Tuesday and added, the professor would approve, referring to number uh, drummer Neil Peart. Uh-huh. Yes. Do you ever watch that Rush documentary? I haven't. Wow. Some of it, yeah. It's so good. Neil Peart seems to me to be like, well, he's like the greatest, you know, prog rock drummer ever. So do the, is it Neil Peart? Is that how they say it, it in the Pierk documentary? Because I, I always thought it was Peart. Peart. Neil Peart. Yeah, I think they- Or is it I can't, I can't remember. Peart. Honestly, I like, can't remember how they say it. Because it's spelled like a pear. Peart. He seems like the least fun dude to hang around. The other two seem like a blast. And Getty seems less... I thought he was always kind of like a irascible guy, ass. but Wait, he didn't seems, you meet him? Or so, wasn't no, he in like Paulson a... And, uh, Paulson and Crane met him at uh, Pirate, Pirate Spring, Spring Training. Training. And he wasn't nice at all. Yeah, he was a jerk. He was shy, but moody. And I, I think if I remember in the Van Halen... Disco, not discography. Encyclopedia. I think uh, Getty Lee threw a beer on Eddie Van Halen once. The really? Nerf. Yeah. If I remember correctly, he Eddie Vedder not, not Eddie Vedder, not Eddie Vedder, Eddie Van Halen. Did I say Eddie Vedder? I meant yeah. Eddie Van Halen. Well, Eddie Van Halen, I I still think he would beat. Yeah, uh, his Getty ass. Lee's. Maybe it was when he had a bad scrawny. hip and he was like limping around him. Next time I see you, I'm gonna come around. <laughs> Eddie always sounded to me like the Tasmanian Devil when he was like drunk and mad. Next <laughs> thing I know, but David. <laughs> Maybe when he was drinking, he just felt that liquid courage, and he knew that Neil Peart was standing behind him with a drumstick. By the way, did know. you see the video of David Lee Roth at the fundraiser over the weekend? No. Doing, what did he do? He did Panama, and I think you really got me. With who? Some small orchestra. Was it a fundraiser? Orchestra. Were his dogs He's, with him? It's very Vegasy. <laughs> there are even dancing <laughs> girls. Well, he, that's, that's all he's ever wanted. It he, it fit him. Did he have a baton? Joe? Can you find that video and put it on the webpage? Did he smash himself in the face? He did with not. Any metal objects? Well, that's a shame. It's uh, it makes me sad to think about any future for Van Halen. At um, least with him. There's no future for Van Halen. There's just not. They can't do it. There's a past. Who would be a good, good vocalist enough? for them? Jim Dandy. Is he still doing it? I don't know. A lot of people think David Lee ripped off. Jim Dandy in a big way from Black that, Oak, Arkansas. I was going to say that the guy from Black Oak, Arkansas. Yeah, go I don't look, know look up some Kennedy. Black Oak, Arkansas ones. Now, poor Miles Kennedy, dude. He is the bridesmaid of all bridesmaids. <laughs> Let that guy have his own band. <laughs> Somebody you know write what? original songs for Miles Kennedy. Sebastian, he does. Oh, for his band. He's touring. He's going to be at Jurgles, actually, with his band, which is his band, The Conspirators. I think so. Is that like Slash with Miles Kennedy and I the I think so. That would be a Madden thing. Yeah, yeah he would know. We'll, he, ask, well, him. we'll ask him. Uh, do I need to wrap it up? No. Okay. Uh, in an interview with Burt Reynolds, yeah. no. he said Sally oh. Field no. was the love of his life. They dated in the late 70s and early 80s. Well, Sally has a new autobiography coming out on Tuesday. 
She doesn't remember their time together quite as fondly. She did an interview with the New York Times about the book. The interview was printed yesterday. She said that she's glad Bert won't get to read the book. She says their time together was, quote, confusing and complicated <laughs> and not without loving and caring, but really complicated mm. and hurtful to me, end quote. She said Bert was controlling and looking back, she thinks she dated him as a way of trying to fix the relationship she had with her stepfather, who was abusive and sexually molested her until she was 14. Yeah, this ah. book was uh, really kind of uh, revelatory. Yeah. Uh, and it's making some 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 noise right now because she, her father was like a famous stuntman or stepfather and it's weird that she hung around with Bert during his Hal Ashby phase, not Ashby, Hal Needham phase where he was like all stuntman Action, stuff, yeah. all like, you know, Hooper, the stuntman movie, Smokey and the Bandit. Cannonball Run. Yeah. The, well, yeah, but she wasn't, I think she was gone then. That was when he was, was dating. She? He was with Farah then, I think. Uh, in the time, she said that Bert would have been hurt by some of the things she says in the book and that she's glad he won't have to defend himself or lash out, which he said, she says he probably would have done. Uh, she said she didn't want to hurt him any further. Plus, he chewed gum the whole time they were together, which is disrespectful. His toupee in Smoking the Bandit is pretty spectacular. <laughs> was that a toupee? Oh, yeah. I watched it again the other night. I was telling you guys yesterday. It's so good. It, I th- is today so the day funny. it starts in theaters? I think maybe. I think it is. I think it's the 12th to the 20th it runs in AMC theaters. But my favorite Burt Reynolds movies, like action comedies, are all the Sally Field ones. Even, yeah. And I put... Uh, Cannonball Run in there too. I said Farah. I meant Lonnie Anderson. He was, was with Lonnie. Say, Anderson. Well, they looked them. very similar. Except one in, took all wait, his money. <laughs> was she in Cannonball Run? Who were the two girls in the in the beginning scene where they're in like the Adrian Barbeau and an actress by the name Adrian of Barbeau? And uh, I can't remember her name now. It's like she has a three name name, you know, and yeah. she is briefly in Smokey and the Bandit as one of the truckers who's like warning him about like, I found some Smokies on I-14s, right. man, so watch your arse or whatever, you know, the CBS ling- CB lingo is. Um, but I saw that girl and I recognized her and I'm like, that looks like the girl from Cannonball Run. So oh I did the IMDB God. wormhole and I'm like, that is the girl from Cannonball Run. Didn't they, th- was it, th- they had like a Lamborghini where they like yes. sprayed it off and it was a different color? Yes. Oh, my God. I just remember watching that at a time in my youth where I was like, things are happening. <laughs> oh, my God. My bugle boys just got really tight. <laughs> my bugle boys. <laughs> my parachute pants. There's no room in these yeah. anymore. Adrian Barbeau. It was, was in, in Maud. Yeah. And the original The Fog. That's right. Is that is that the movie? Big points for a Maud reference this morning. I know our next guest will love that. <laughs> uh, Frank Caliendo. And is uh, joining us right now. Good morning, Frank. How are you? Hey, you guys want to talk uh, some Norman Lear sitcom stuff? <laughs> <laughs> For the young kids, uh, you want to go Jefferson's trivia? A little uh, good times? Good time. Dino May. <laughs> Which he hates That's if you say it. that to him, right? Yeah, he absolutely yeah, Not hates a fan. It. That's why I walk up to him going, TNT. <laughs> <laughs> so he Wouldn't has to say it in his own head. How much How much would he dislike it if you got his catchphrase wrong that he doesn't like anymore? <laughs> TNT. <laughs> you dropped the bomb on me. You. Oh, yeah. He's got to correct you then. He's got to be, no, 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 it's. 
Oh, I see what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, then he, that's how you trick him to say it. Yeah, sure. Right. Yeah, that's it. Uh, hi, ex- Acme Explosive. <laughs> coyote. No, no. Super genius. Uh, yeah, with Bert's passing, I watched uh, Smoking the Bandit the other night again uh, just to relive how much I love that movie, and it didn't let me down. It was unbelievably funny. You want to know what's really funny, um, or probably half as funny as what we just did, but still good. Uh, I got a text of scenes from that movie from Carrot Top. So Carrot Top just sent me a bunch of Smokey and the Bandit scenes. And I go, why did you send this to me? And he's like, this is all texting. He's like, uh, because... uh, it's so raw and funny, and uh, and I said, "Did you know Bert?" And he texted me back a picture with him and Bert, and said, "We were lovers." <laughs> <laughs> I have no problem believing it. <laughs> Frank uh, with us right now, and Frank, I have to be thinking that uh, with the return of John Gruden to to uh, Wait, he's back to, to NFL coaching. <laughs> now I saw some of the stuff you did for ESPN, and uh, boy, he had a rough first week. I'll tell you what, man. We're thinking about trading the entire defense. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, just playing. I want to get see if I can get uh, 53 quarterbacks on the team, man. (laughs) (laughs) Like, if you have an unlimited amount of arms, anybody can throw. It doesn't matter if they can run or catch or play defense. If you score on every single play, then you got a pretty good chance to win the game. Well, how could you? I'm going to run. You know what plays I'm going to run? I'm going to run Spider 2, Y Banana, Spider 3, Y Banana, Spider 4, Y Banana, Spider 5, Y Banana. Just put in X. Spider X, Y Banana. X is the variable that becomes the number of the next Spider X, Y Banana. <laughs> how could yeah, you? I'm trying not to. It's a hard thing because I, I don't. I mean, I don't care. I. I actually thought it was kind of cool that he's just going in there and doing his, knowing him, he's just doing what he thinks, you know, he's trying to get everybody on the same page. Uh, I wanted to say as, as the tyrant, but that's not what I meant to say, but as, right. everybody <laughs> on his page, you know, and he yeah. wants to be a, a leader and he's a winner. So the tough thing is you trade, you know, what everybody's calling a, you know, transcendent player, a, a generational player, and then everybody's going to talk. But I, he's got that old school mentality. If you don't want to play, you know, if you don't want to come in and play for the money you've already signed up for, although the world's just, I mean, I, I have mixed emotions like I do in everything. Like Randy and I, when we text back and forth uh, about whatever, you know, life, I have mixed emotions on everything. It's like, the world today is different. Is mm-hmm. that better or worse? I, I don't know, but it, it's different, and you you have to live in that. And I and maybe he can prove that you don't have to. It's just going to take some time. If he wants some old school Smash Mouth guys, they're just all going to be in their fifties. <laughs> <laughs> That's the I mean, old, even, only problem. Even yeah, even Tom Brady and Belichick are lightening up. Belichick is actually showing teeth on the sideline now. It's crazy <laughs> to see, uh, you know, him smiling and kind of giggling a little bit and Brady talking about life. So, you know, Brady's doing documentaries. It's just, I don't know. I I, I tend to be more on the Gruden side of I'd, I'd, love, I'd love to go back and – 
live years and years ago, but then right. I realize I'm not important enough to do that. <laughs> so, I mean, what it comes down to is if you think you can make it happen and you are important enough and you can get $10 million a year to coach for 10 years, you go and try it. Why not? That's right. what you want to do. And if you succeed, you look, you could save the league maybe in some ways. I, I, you know, my son, who's a, a a pretty smart kid and doing math, he's he's an algebra two pre-calc. That's what he's doing this year as a fourteen-year-old freshman. His classes are more difficult than anything I did in college as a freshman <laughs> in high school. But he will type in seven times five into his calculator, into his graphing calculator. I'm like, what what are you doing? That calculator is yeah. you know designed to 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 help you on the SAT test so you don't have to do all the math, but not the seven times. Three. That's crazy. Yeah. So, go ahead. Uh, well, I, I get where you're going with it. it uh, you know, there there is some, at some point, it's, it reaches uh, the point of diminishing returns on uh, the, the new thinking, no matter what it might be. In the NFL, it does move pretty quickly, though. And to abandon defense completely even though the emphasis is definitely on the offense in the NFL to get rid of Khalil Mack well yeah and it's, and and, and <laughs> I'm going to go Gruden for it what he what he didn't need to do was go out and dominate the first half of that Bears <laughs> yeah. Packer game that was difficult to live with yeah i mean he goes out, Khalil Mack goes out there on a terror and just looks unbelievable <laughs> And I, you know, if I'd have, if if we'd have talked the next day, I'd be like, man, he's not even making tackles. All he's doing is causing sacks, and, and pulling, pulling. That's not. He doesn't, he doesn't tackle anybody. He's pulling the ball out of a quarterback's hand and running with it. That's not a. That's not football. That's rugby, man. Yeah. <laughs> he's just scoring. I don't pay him to score. I don't pay. That's what we pay our offense. Right. He can't throw. Khalil Mack does not have a NFL arm. If he had an NFL arm, <laughs> that's what we'd be looking for. But he does not have he has some of the intangibles, but he does not have the tangibles. I have seen him throw a football on videotape from Betamax. <laughs> has anybody looked sloppier in their NFL head coaching debut than Matt Patricia did for the Lions? Yeah, I'm thinking about, I mean, as much as I'm trying to get away from some of the impressions and stuff, uh, the Matt Patricia look is just too <laughs> easy. It's, um, so, it's, so, it's so funny looking. <laughs> I mean, he he's so Bluto. Yeah, but, yeah, it's it's that. I'm trying to think who else it's. Pavarotti-ish, if Pavarotti <laughs> <laughs> really let himself... You know? <laughs> oh, we played on defense. <laughs> I give up. <laughs> I'm not thinking, yeah, I, they catch him on the sidelines, mouthing, "I give up." First game. First game. <laughs> I give up. Yeah, that's probably not something. That's 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 what you should put in in an episode of bad lip reading. Uh, it shouldn't be what you're actually saying. I think that's a, a that's a. I mean, it's tough. All these guys that come from the Belichick world, right? Nobody seems to do very well no. and it's because that that they're all they all have the Patriot way, the secrets, and you're not allowed to do anything. It's just military like. And then you go somewhere else, and nobody's had that before, and it's a different world to them. 
And it's, I, I just think it's tough to listen to a guy who, you know, talk to you about nutrition when he looks like Matt <laughs> Patricia, right? Like, <laughs> that's like one of the Ryan brothers telling you, uh, we got to eat better, guy. <laughs> eat better, like less pepperoni? <laughs> <laughs> like Bob Wiley from the Browns, their offensive line coach. Hut gut. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's un, it's un, and it, can people stop tweeting me every time there's a fat guy on TV <laughs> that, hey, is that guy Frank Caliendo? Like, it's people that don't look anything like me just because they have some extra neck. All I get is, hey, that guy, is that Frank Caliendo on the sideline? When did he become an actual NFL coach? Gunther from, uh, from uh, the Raiders, their defensive coordinator, which is <laughs> pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, he, he looks nothing like me except for the fact that he's a human gerbil, right? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> and you're not, I just, you're not a heavy person. Like, not, any, not as much as I was, but that's what everybody remembers me from. I'm, 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 uh, I'm, I'm thick and powerful. I've got, uh, I've, I can bench press. I used to bench press when I was in, when I was, this was a lot when I was in high school. When I was, a, I remember because we had the, we didn't have free weights in our high school. Uh, we, our middle school went up to ninth grade. So as a freshman, you were still in middle school and then you went over to the high school, really kind of an odd setup, but we only had the universal machine at our middle school and I could stack it at two ninety. Yeah. Uh, Right, right, but that's because my arms, <laughs> to extend them, <laughs> only have to go. Eep, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you like how you got the visual from the sound? Yes, that's, that's that's from fully bent to straight. When like guys have these super long arms and they they can't bench press that much, I'm like, here, let me get in there. Uh, <laughs> Just doing the Barney Rubble bench. Yeah, yeah. It's, Short I, arm it. Bink. Yeah, it's. Yeah, pretty pretty ridiculous. Frank Caliendo, when are you coming back to uh, to this side of the country? Uh, I don't know. Well, the only thing I'm I'm not even I think this isn't even close. Maybe semi close to you guys right now is uh, that uh, Charlestown, West Virginia. Yes, like three that, and a half hours. Yeah. Well, yeah, people will drive there. Right. Um, <laughs> I mean, you, you, who, who do you think you're talking to, uh, Matt Patricia? <laughs> no, this, I'm a winner. I don't give up. Right. I keep fighting keep... for people to drive. No, I bet you there will be some Pit- Pittsburghers. Uh, Pittsburgh was it? Oh, there'll be people who listen to you on DVE there for sure. There's no doubt about yeah. that. We we go pretty far down the in the yeah, West Virginia. Yeah, that's, that's Hollywood Casino. I'm I'm promoting a show in West Virginia, three and a half hours away right now. I really only call because you guys uh, are so good to me when I do need help. So I know you're um, very nice. Well, we were talking the other day. I'm like, come back on the show, dude. I haven't talked to you in a while. Yeah, and then I was like, oh, geez, why yeah, did I say I yes? <laughs> I was saying that all morning. I'm not going to lie to you. I, uh, I was making breakfast for the kids, uh, one of my kids, Joey, and I was like, what? 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 I wanted to go back to sleep after this. Yeah. Um, and now but, I w- but it turned w- out to be a great call. So this, is, this has been really – tell you what, man, this is going better than my debut. <laughs> you know what I really did want to uh, get into was the fact that Chris Berman is back. And- yeah. Has he started back yet? I haven't so seen at he, all. I think he starts next week, but here's my he had favorite. a feature with Big Ben on Sunday. It, and you know what they're calling them? Berm, they're, they're five-minute segments, and they're calling them Berman Blasts. <laughs> yeah. yeah, which was something different when I was <laughs> <laughs> say, say what you uh, 
heard Berman Blast. But hey, when, listen, this was an all-night taco binge. And uh, <laughs> Berman Blast. Minute. I mean, That's kind of what it was right there. I mean, eh. Say, eh. We know what it's like. And, uh, minute, minute. Buck Rogers, and we're back at Maud. Frank Caliendo, go see him in a state adjacent to ours in a couple of months. Hey man, thank you for uh, for calling. I know it's super early out there. We appreciate it, and, uh, and I'm glad we could. I'm glad we could end with a Gil Gerard reference. <laughs> yeah, you got to have a little Buck Rogers in there. <laughs> Is that the Buck Rogers theme? Or you yeah, do- I think it was the end. I think it was the end when they like go to credits, and it was like I don't know. I'm looking it up no, right now. It's so old, it's probably not even YouTube available. Oh, yeah. Right. Well, the 25th century one is there, but that's not the one we're talking about, right? Buck Rogers. Uh, yeah, Buddy, Buck Rogers, 25th century. Yeah. Right there? Oh, I don't know. There's a lot going on there. No, yeah, but yeah, yeah that's what I was doing. <laughs> Frank Caliendo, thanks, Frank. Love you guys. <laughs> DVE Sports. Well, running a little late because of Frank, but that's always worth it. Mike Pursuit with a sports update for you now on DVE. Mike? You know, when uh, you played the Kansas City Chiefs the last couple of years, you had to really worry about Tyreek Hill on punt returns. But uh, now you got to worry about him catching passes as well as in the kicking game. Here's uh, Mike Tomlin. Talking yesterday about Kansas City's latest weapon. You know, when you look at last week, week one, you just see continued growth as a as a wide receiver and the way that they utilize him in the offense. Um, he started off early in his career strictly as a kick returner and gadget guy. Um, he got infused and became a core offensive weapon. I think last week shows that he is their chief uh, receiving threat. Chief receiving threat. See, yeah, what, see what I, he did there? I see uh-huh. what he did there. Tyreek Hill is indeed Kansas City's chief receiving threat, and that's no sitting bull. For the last couple of years when he settled under a punt, it's been a trail of tears in Hill's wake. But now, Hill is ambushing opposing defenses as well as special teams. There's no need to be Iroquois about it. It's a brave new world. Scalpers are getting big wampum for tickets to see Hill on the warpath. The Chiefs have no reservations about throwing in the ball. It's coming. Get to a casino and bet on it. The Steelers had better circle the wagons. They'd better watch Tyreek Hill like a tomahawk. There's seemingly no Apache of grass Hill can't cover faster than a Jeep Cherokee. And he does it against seemingly every team. Hill doesn't just slaughter Buffalo. He brings more to the powwow than $24 worth of beads and trinkets. When Hill takes one to the happy hunting ground, it's a seminal moment in Kansas City. (laughs) Some even yell, Wahoo, in Cleveland. In the history of great return men slash receivers, Hill is a Chippewa off the old block. (laughs) It's a real feather in his cap. Tyreek Hill's arrow is definitely pointed up. Uh, (laughs) Oh, my God. That was an impressive use of Indian nomenclature 
That coach started it. I just picked up. I really don't think. I don't know. That was I'm the, not sure uh, anything was offensive there. Tomlin uh, stereotype translator. Yeah, a little bit. Madden's <laughs> giving you the. Yeah. I was trying to be funny, not offensive. Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't work out that way. That's one of those you might have to apologize for people if they were offended, not that you said it. <laughs> I'm not sorry that I said it, but if you were offended, well, I'm sorry for you. I don't know. Guy's dangerous. I know he is. I'm terrified really of what's going to happen this weekend. Not just look. I don't think Tyler Matakovich is going to be able to tackle everybody on special teams yeah. or Matakovich. Either yeah. of those guys. Maybe the firm of Matakovich, Matakovich, Fishman will be able to. Yeah, he goofed up that name, didn't he? That's how, you, you get, that's how you know you're not getting any more playing time. A bad angle against this guy or a missed tackle against this guy and. You are They're kicking an extra rude. point. Mark Madden live in studio with us next. It's the DB Morning Show. Randy Bauman joining us right now. <laughs> Mark Madden is here. And uh, we were trying to figure out the name of the crying Indian. Aspara Oscar de Corti. A.K.A. Iron Eyes Cody. Iron Eyes Cody. I'm here on behalf of Native Americans after that racist invective. Here's the funny thing <laughs> about uh, Iron Eyes Cody, as uh, you pointed out. He was an Italian-American actor. Right. He was not an Indian? Or was did he have some Cherokee? No, I, I don't think he had any Native American blood in him, but, uh, but he still cried when the bag of trash hit him in the feet on the side of the highway. Imagine how he would cry the Mon Wharf clothes when he saw the Kenny Chesney concert stuff. Or he, what they did to Tommy Maddox's yard. Yeah. They also did the version where he got hit in the feet with a plate of spaghetti. <laughs> but he stopped crying. <laughs> hey, what a, what a waste of good spaghetti! That's what I always said the one racist stereotype. I told you, El Dante. Nobody will ever get mad at an Italian guy can walk into the room and you can go, "Hey, Tony's here. Ooh, who brought the oh, meatballs? meatballs?" Yeah, and then the guy would be like, "Yeah, you got meatballs. Good. Yeah, you know, if, <laughs> if you say that to any other, you know, some Asian walks in and you're like, "Oh, Soon Lee's here. Oh, you want some rice? You know, Let's they'd be like, "Wow, math. that's horribly yeah. offensive." Next <laughs> thing you know, your career's over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But if it was an Italian guy, "Ooh, want some meatballs?" They'd be like. Yeah, yeah, those are delicious. I love meatballs. <laughs> oh, you know what you can do, too, and get away with? Then turn to the fan. Hey, you want some meatballs, fat guy? Yeah. Let's that... give the fat guy as much food as possible. You like to point Because he's out. fat. Fat shaming is never uh, uh, out of uh, uh, style. You, you always claim that you don't get any punishment for fat shaming. That's true. I don't know if I agree with that. Name an instance where somebody did. Um, uh, when Don Imus called all of the Rutgers, uh, uh, no, he called them he nappy. He didn't call he them called fatty. Them, he called them. He used a racial slur. He called them chubbelards. I think that's not what got him in trouble. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what it, what he did. Not at all. I think that was yeah. There was the it was that no. It, I, the next day they said, well, the fat stuff was funny, <laughs> but that other stuff, <laughs> you know, racist. we draw the line there. So racist. What do we want to talk about? Oh, you stopped going to strip clubs. How come? Well, I, I've been to a strip club probably twice in the past year. All right, that's kind of enough diversity for you. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, I'm no. They've always had plenty of diversity. <laughs> yeah. I'm just too old. Yeah. You mean because you feel creepy there, or you just don't care? Oh no, the creepy stuff doesn't bother me at all. <laughs> I just, it, it just, it seems like an awful lot of trouble. Yeah, you cut yourself off. There was no incident. No, there was no incident, Bill. <laughs> An incident. 
I, uh, what, I what, what incident were you envisioning? I don't know. Some kind of epiphany. Like and an plus, overdose of some sort? That was one of the dancers yeah, that uh, night. Epiphany. epiphany. <laughs> <laughs> Coming to the stage. The backstage. No, no. A big part of it is, too, all the girls from the glory days have retired or, or moved right. on to a more serious form of addiction. And, uh, <laughs> and and I just don't want to break in any new girls. That's part of it as well. Break in, yeah. That's a. I don't mean literally. No, right. You don't want to mentally. Uh, uh, I, I I no longer have the time, patience, or inclination to make that emotional connection that is such a integral part of the strip club experience. Well, are you going to start dating? No. I you know you do so good with a partner. I just want to roll over and die. No, you don't. Yes, I do. No, Put that you on don't. Your Tinder yes, profile. I do. Look, we've all be, we've been talking about your health for a while here, and you you can't kick this cold, and it's worrying. Whatever us. it is, whatever it is, and we're a little worried about it, yeah, because you had to cancel that trip to Vegas, right? And now your doctor is ghosting you, which isn't a right, cool right. Thing to do. Uh, the doctor's office called yesterday while I was on the air and said they think they know what's wrong, and I haven't been able to reach them. <laughs> so 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 no, it, I, I'm not mad. They're you know they're busy people, but uh, I'm assuming it's nothing that could kill me in the next. Well, if it would have been 12 hours, I'd be dead already. <laughs> right. So uh, I'm assuming it's something that's treatable. Yes. So that's good. That's good news. Let's get you yeah, happy and healthy and back into the strip clubs at least. At least, yeah. How about Albert sold- Back to Las Vegas, Albert, at least. Yeah, because you missed out on uh, what concerts? Two Queen concerts. Uh, oh. That's a drag. With Adam Lambert? Yeah, and who knows if they'll- you know, you, I mean, they don't perform often. They no. really don't. And uh, if I don't feel- I'm feeling a little better, but I don't know if I feel like making the drive to Cleveland- to go to Blossom Music Center Sunday to see Ozzy. Oh. My, 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 my return date for a concert might be October 14th in Vegas for Ozzy. And, That'd uh, be a good one. Well, and this might sound dumb. It's easier to go to a concert in Vegas than it is the one in Cleveland because you're flying to Vegas. You know, you know what I mean? You get a limo to the hotel. You walk across the street to the venue, in my case, to see Ozzy. Yeah. And then afterwards, you go right back to your room. Whereas in Cleveland, you drive two hours. You drive two hours back. In traffic. And in between, you're in Cleveland. Yeah, that, there's that, too. <laughs> Blossoms, you know, I like it as a venue. Once you're there, I like the yes, but, musical but the, experience. The but in and out's awful. Really bad. Yeah, really. And, and all those places are like that, similar to, to, to Key Bank. Merriweather Post Pavilion, same yes, thing. Exactly. They're, they're all exactly the same. Why is it? Why couldn't they have constructed those things in a way that allowed people to go in and out? Well, I may limit my concert going to more local. I think, I think I'm going to have to cut that out just like the strip clubs. Yeah. Traveling to concerts for the most part. Now, Except traveling. I am going to see that Aerosmith, you know, health permitting uh, residency. Uh, residency in Vegas. If my health's still bad by then, I'll. It won't be. You just have a cold that won't go away, right? Well, I won't it's... bother calling the doctor then. Thank you. Well, it's not other issues. Is there other issues that we're not discussing, or is it just a cold that you couldn't kick? I've had incontinence, which um, I'm sure the audience would enjoy hearing about. That's not good. Yeah, I know. Yeah, we don't want that. We need you to be continent. <laughs> Very few do. <laughs> So anyway, that makes the concert going and the strip club attendee uh, situation a lot more. What difficult. I like about I like concerts where I can just like in Vegas walk out of the concert and be in a hotel room like in ten minutes. Like I'm going to Atlantic City hopefully in November, consecutive nights. Foreigner with Lou Graham and the rest, you know, sitting in for some songs. Where and is Leonard that? Where's that? Uh, Foreigner is it the uh, the new Hard Rock? It used to be the Trump Taj Mahal, but they've rebranded, and and then uh, for good reason. Yeah. and then. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Leonard Skinner's at the Boardwalk Music Hall. Uh, and you didn't go see Skinner when they were here? Yes, I did. Uh, what was your review of that? I never asked. I thought it was very you. good. Yeah? I thought it was very good. Yeah. I, uh, one thing about Skinner, they don't mess around. They, 
they play like maybe one of their relatively new songs, you know, Johnny Van Zandt songs, yeah. and then the rest are just hits from wall to wall. So you recognize yeah. everything. They and they give you very, a bathroom break on the one song. That's right, exactly. Yeah. They perform very enthusiastically. You know, and you forget for a second it's only one guy. But but I give him credit, Gary Rossington, for being literally the last man standing. Yeah. And I, I have no doubt Johnny Van Zandt's going to go out and play all those songs still. It's not like he's going to go away. He won't be doing venues that big, but he'll put a band together and it do, won't what have... What do you think he'll call it? Uh, it'll be like it'll be like tribute to yeah, Johnny Van Zant Skinner tribute yeah like Jason Bonham's uh, Led Zepp experience like Johnny Van Zant Slinder yeah, Skinner experience did, didn't they call this like the Street Survivors tour or something or what what did I they think so they farewell tour the Street Survivors yeah so or I think it, it would be something along those lines or something yeah or, I'm sure or, he will and, that, and that's the okay Skinner will rise again you know Artemis Powell has that. a band that goes out and plays those songs as well his is a tricky situation I know. Because Is it's he hard to travel between states. Well, it's hard to know if he was wrongly accused or not. His situation has some nuance. That well, well he, he like was sleeping with his stepdaughter, who was of questionable no, age. No, that that see now that's not whoa how I had heard that. What did you hear? I I you know his wife made up everything, ex-wife, and in an attempt to get the child support from him, and then recanted everything after the fact. Oh, I didn't know that, but that was the accusation, right? I don't think it was that. It was just a general... I, I don't know specifically. I know generally he was accused of abuse. Yeah, and Gary Rossington, you know, didn't, you know, kicked him off the... You know, he was with the band when that happened. But I think Gary Rossington wanted to kick him off for as much as anything, you know, misremembering what happened in the plane crash where he painted himself as a hero. Yeah, right. That's true, too. And I then think. they had to, like, go back and go, hey, man, everything you said was... Total BS. That's not how it went down. Because he said that said how clear could Rossington's memory be, considering he had every limb broken in the crash. How clear could any of their minds have been from that? You know. Did you see that documentary? Yeah, it was excellent. The oh, Showtime documentary really, really was excellent. Good. Yeah. Do you think that if they would have had uh, Circle Yanks together, they would have been as big as the Beatles? <laughs> Meet the, beat the Beatles. Yeah. Uh, I uh, I don't think it could hurt. Yeah. <laughs> and again, then again, they had women in the band. They had so many people on stage. I, I know that would have been a pretty big room. You'd have yeah. That's that's a lot of participants there. <laughs> I want to hold your hand. I, I, you I think Skinner first. <laughs> I think Skinner really are one of the all time great bands. I, Me too. I, I I think they're. You, you'll disagree with this uh, this appraisal wholeheartedly. Yeah, I, I thought you might, but I think they're uh, the Almond Brothers dipped in Led Zeppelin. I think there's a there's a little cross over there between uh, Southern rock and, and hard English rock that served them very well. The Allman Brothers are the gold standard for authenticity. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I prefer Skinner. Yeah, you're wrong. Uh, so uh, Could be. The Steelers, <laughs> the, the press conference yesterday, Ben's elbow is hurt. Very exciting. AB has threatened a journalist, and Le'Veon Bell is nowhere to be found. Well, I, I and Juju Smith-Schuster has passed a thousand yards career receiving too, which he celebrated with uh, a, him on on uh, on Twitter, and uh, he's only eight yards behind Jericho Cotri on the Steelers' <laughs> all-time receiving yardage list, and uh, he could easily break that on Sunday. And I wonder if they'll stop the game and have a presentation. They might. Why do you hate Juju so much? I, I don't hate him. I just think he celebrates himself a little too much for a second-year guy who's the number two receiver. Is it, is there anybody that doesn't celebrate themselves too much on that's, that team? That's a good point. But but I, I laugh when people Le'Veon Bell's in the strip club in Miami at the club actually this time, and people oh what's he doing there? Well he's not committed to be anywhere else. Okay he's just living life and Juju Smith's living life. I get told all the time let the kid live life. Okay well let Le'Veon Bell live life too. 
Yeah, but he's holding out and causing the Steelers uh, some some you, strife. You know what? You know what? A lot of people don't understand about Le'Veon Bell, and and I hear other radio show hosts that clearly don't understand this. I keep hearing, "Oh, that's such a terrible look for him in the strip club or the club or whatever," and it is a terrible look. There's no question about that. He doesn't care. He's checked out of Pittsburgh. He's moved on. He did. When he comes to Pittsburgh, whenever he comes to Pittsburgh, he'll just be punching the clock to get it over with, and then he'll go to his next team and make his money, and that's what's important. It doesn't look like he's going to have to punch the clock for very long either. Well, I think he'll come in after week eight. Yeah, that's when he has to because the Steelers could screw him if he came in any With the longer. exempt list thing, yeah. 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 Although it would be really petty to do that. Oh, you don't think they would be above being petty at this point? I would hope they wouldn't be that petty. I think that would reflect badly on them. It would certainly... Uh lessen their chance of getting something out of him at the end of the season. And plus, why do you want him back? At this point, you just want to get him out of here, too. What do you make about the A.B. comment online? I, I don't think there's any serious weight to... I don't think he was actually threatening to oh, assault... Oh, he obviously was threatening him. You think what? he was threatening to assault yes, a reporter? absolutely was. How could you interpret that any other way? I think it's just uh, the, the the language of oh, social I don't think media. Lev has, I don't think Antonio Brown has ever had the balls to punch anybody. So from that point, it's empty talk. But but that coupled with what he said to Ed Bouchette online and in person over the summer makes you think... Called Ed Bouchette a racist. Guy's out of control. They don't care. What am, who am I to say? I think they care. Uh, I just don't well, know. They don't care too much because they're not doing anything about it. What right. if they took the table games away again? That seemed to work. <laughs> <laughs> no more ping pong, guys. I'll tell you what. Till you stop threatening journalists... I mean, I mean, shouldn't he be reeled in on that? What do you guys think, Trev? What do you think? I mean, I think it's ridiculous. Well, well Mike, compared to what Jacksonville suspended yeah. their guy for a week. There is precedent. Although in the preseason. That, although that was in the preseason, yeah. You, you see, yeah. Mike Tomlin doesn't care at all about that. In fact, I think he thinks it's funny. I totally, that is such a supposition. You cannot make that. Really? You don't make it at all? That's a huge leap. No, really? I you're think. Not, you're, not, you're not making that leap? Well, no, that he likes that his team threatens journalists. I think I what, think Mike Tomlin treats the media like it smells bad. I think that... Which it does to some Sometimes degree. we do. I think he doesn't put any weight on those words as having any actual threat to them at all. I think he thinks it's uh, just steam being let off. It's the language of social oh, okay, media. Okay, but whose expense? Uh, look, I'm, I'm telling you what I think he believes. I don't think he thinks there's an authentic threat coming from one of his players toward a journalist. And if he did think that, I think he would act. I think it, this is easy for him to compartmentalize as just all the noise of social media. I wish it would all go away. This to him is as annoying as a self-serving tweet from Juju. And and no less threatening in any well, way. Well, I, I, if you're saying that Mike Tomlin just wants to avoid what goes on on social media, period... Yeah, you might be onto something there. But I, I don't think there's any excuse for A.B. calling Ed Bouchette a racist or for threatening this guy. Yeah, this is a little different than Juju tweeting out, hey, who wants to play Fortnite with no, me? They, no, Juju. Although they did suspend Bryant over tweets. Right. Well, that's because he called a teammate into, right. into question. So there, there apparently is a point where it gets serious enough that there are repercussions. Hey, they can do what they want. I mean, I, I you know, just as Love Bell's checked out on them, so have I. Uh, I have no emotional attachment to them beyond the, the fact that I like Ben, and it just I don't care. Really, they can they can do things the way they want to do. I'll talk about them, I'll analyze them, I'll follow them very closely because that's my job. I have zero emotional attachment. I mean, there are other guys I like. I like Kim Hayward. I like Stephon Tuitt. There's guys there I respect, but it's just 
You know, I, I, the way Antonio Brown and Lev Bell have just turned this into a nonstop circus. I mean, the season started out toxic because Lev Bell didn't show up. The soap opera continues. Yeah. It's like nonstop. It's absolutely glass. nonstop. Don't you think there's something to what I'm saying? Doesn't it wear you down at all, too? No, I love it. It's fuel. No, it's exhausting. Oh, no. From, from a professional standpoint, I couldn't be happier. Yeah. But from a standpoint of, you know, trying to like the team in your hometown, I just don't think it's a very likable team. It's uh, infuriating in the sense that the talent level of these guys is so great that if they could trim the, the stupid antics and the circus stuff... You think that they oh, could compete I, I, for a Super Bowl? See, people disagree with me. I know Triv does. I think it's one of the reasons they don't. One of the reasons they underachieve in the playoffs. I mean, you know, Colin Coward did an excellent monologue about the turmoil with the Steelers. He, here's a great comparison. He compared them to Robert Downey Jr. in his drug phase. He said Robert Downey Jr. was whacked out of his mind, but he was so talented he still got jobs. The Steelers are totally dysfunctional, but they still win 13 games. But they've only won three playoff games in eight years. And that's on Mike Tomlin. I think it's on the general malaise of the organization. I think there is a malaise there. Whether it's Tomlin, lack of locker room leadership, uh, you know, you can conjecture any which way you want, but that malaise is there. Do you prefer malaise or maruffles? <laughs> which has which has ridges? <laughs> maruffles. <laughs> then, then yes, I do. I'm finished. You stay classy, Pittsburgh. Don't touch your face. I got him dead, Pittsburgh, all day, baby. For now, you guys call me Ronald. Would you not eat my pants? Ronald. Ah! Mm-hmm.